0: This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the big X. Portos, motor hits, geek bloods, Wasteoids, oids, dweebies. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude.
4: That music just went away very quickly. I'm a little flustered. That today was my fault. The thing is, <laughs> there was nothing even wrong. I just thought it
2: wasn't going over there, and it was. I
4: think. I love with the casual listener who probably maybe doesn't know who Patrick is, and has they're like, w- who's this guy talking to start the show? It's 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 fine. We're we're good. I just wasn't ready to do the <laughs> all right thing. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Micro show. <laughs> it is Wednesday, January fourth. Uh, we are live from the University of Louisville College of Business Studios, which is operating. At its highest possible capacity, as always, visit business.louisville.edu for more information on what the U of L College of Business can do for you. Here from three to six on 1450 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming all over the land. You know it better as the Big X. Mike Rutherford here. Matt McGavick in studio from Louisville Report, joining us. Intern Patrick, killing it behind the scenes as always, literally and figuratively. Um, what, what was? It was the same issue as yesterday. The okay, yesterday was. Something, something it was, was not bored. your fault yesterday, right? Maybe, maybe okay. not. <laughs> Who knows about yesterday? Today
2: was just a, it was a classic goof. It was just a cl- classic goof. I, every time I'm in here, there's this normal radio next to me that I, because I'm paranoid, nothing goes over the air because it happened the first when Trevor was late that one day, because that was something completely. Calvin had to fix that. Ah, uh, I remember. But that. I have this thing next to me, and I turn it up, and I. I thought I guess there was audio coming from that, and I thought it was just from the headset, so I thought it wasn't going over the air. But I'm pretty sure it was all going over there. Let somebody let me know if the intro played twice, because if so, then it was nothing wrong the whole time.
4: I mean, I get it. I, perfect explanation to me. I, I thought that was beautifully said. It was it, it, that little radio is always very loud, and I can never figure out how to turn. I can't get the audio to go off in that room. Period. Because we come in here on Monday, we do commercials, and Jay, who shoots it for WBNA, is like that. It's very loud, and it's always that show on before us that's very political, and so it's like I'm trying to talk about, you know, Louisville losing another men's basketball game on camera, and it's like, Joe Biden's an alien, and I've got no <laughs> idea how to turn it off.
2: I don't think it's political anymore. I think we got to— we, Do we change it? Uh, uh, it's not—it's Yahoo National Sports Radio now. It's not mm. political radio anymore. Well, I anymore. think
4: it's—whatever show is going on over on 970 is yeah. plays yeah. in this studio very loud.
2: Oh, yeah, the— 96.1 plays national. Nine, whatever's on this radio probably is political.
4: It's very loud, and it's very distracting, and I, I can't get anything done. So, I, And I can never figure out how to turn it down. So I, I feel your pain there. It's okay. We're good. We're on the air, and we're happy to have Matt McGavick from Louisville Report. Uh, in studio matt what an intro we're, i we're did i did
3: tweet out before coming on let's get weird and so far it's weird and i haven't even had to do anything it always
4: does yeah uh, th- this is who we are this is what we do i did like speaking of since i'm pulling back the curtain i did the commercials yesterday because we were off on monday and jay uh <coughs> who's awesome from w WBNA, he was like yo Basically, Jay didn't try to hide. It. He's like, I listen sometimes. I'll tune in. When I'm, <laughs> if I'm driving around, and there's nothing else going on. I'll at least on. he's honest. Yeah, I'll turn on your show, which I appreciate because that's, you know, that's when I, if, when I tell people that I listen to their radio show, that's kind of how it is, too. Like I, I dropped my daughter off at school. There was nothing else going on. I turned you on. I love listening to you. But he was like, you and Trevor were, were he's like, you, sometimes you take shots at the station. I'm like, well, yeah, because usually we're on like 35 minutes late and there's something going wrong and I can't figure it out. And he was talking about the YouTube cameras, which has become a running joke. When I first got brought in here in August of 2021, when they were kind of laying out their vision for the show and what was going to happen. They were like, we're going to have YouTube cameras here. We're going to stream the show live on the Internet. There'll be a camera here, here and here. And this should be set up in like a week and a half. And, you know, it's been a year and a half now and we we're not no progress on the YouTube camera front. And Jay's like, it's really easy to do. You can, you know, you get a webcam here. You can put a webcam here. You can stream it over a, a program called this. He's like all Trevor would have to do, and I was like, I'm gonna stop you right there. It's just do it. Trevor's not doing anything additional. <laughs> he's he's very set in his ways at this point. He's like a he's like Jim Beheim to tie in today's discussion and everything mm-hmm. else. You can't throw anything additional at him at this point in life. Like he's he's mastered what he does. He's gonna run the two three zone. He's gonna run the same type of of offense. And if you were like, hey, man, have you ever thought about, I don't know, a 1-3-1? One, one? Like, it would just flood his brain. So this may, like, Jay's like, it's really simple. All Trevor would have to do is this, this, and this. And I'm like, it, it's not going to happen. Like, we're going to have to hire somebody else if we're ever going to get this show streaming online, which would be great because Trevor's antics are worth seeing. And then me looking disgruntled for 75% of the day is, is also worth seeing. It'd I mean, I would have loved to see him eat that salad live. The video was enough. <laughs> the, the delayed video was more than enough for a lot of people. I've heard from more people who are like, I showed this to my wife and she was horrified than I think anything else that we've done on the show. <laughs> it, it generated more of a reaction than anything else, which is saying something. Marty
2: Polio told me he thought it was hilarious. I, as, long as, the JCPs right <laughs> as long as the JCPS
4: superintendent is on board, then good. We're, we're good to go. That's all I care about. Uh, 502-414-1450 is the Thornton sex line. We want to hear from you today. We also want you to download that Refreshing Rewards app from Thornton's. They're giving away a free breakfast sandwich and a free drink from anybody who becomes a new Refreshing Rewards member. Could not be easier. <coughs> search the app, search Thornton's, download that bad boy. Boom, you're good to go getting a free breakfast sandwich, free coffee, free tea, free whatever you want. That's what Thornton's does for you. It's why there's 65,612 of them in this location, in this area, because they know what they're doing. And then that text line, 502 414 1450. All right, we're starting today. I mean, you know what we're talking about. It's. Mm-hmm. Another one point loss, which this, this one I w- look
2: three people, straight covers.
4: Three straight <laughs> covers. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Patrick, for the positive note. People all the time are saying, "Mike, you're, you're you're too negative. You're you're down on the team. Tell me things are great," which I w- I'd love to would would love to do it. I unfortunately am the fan of a two and thirteen team that is is zero and four in conference play, but. I will start off with this. Last night's game felt extremely different than the one-point losses that we've gotten accustomed to, which is, not, again, when you say it out loud, it doesn't sound <laughs> the that The
3: one-point bo- losses that we've grown accustomed
4: to. It doesn't oh sound my positive Lord, when you say like it out loud, pro- but you know what I'm talking about. This loss did not feel the same as the losses to no. Bellarmine or Appalachian State or Wright State. And it came against a major conference opponent. This is the first time that we've played anybody from a power conference closer than, than 12 points. And the biggest difference between this and some of the losses that we had early in the year, whether they were the one-point losses or the, you know, the eight-point loss to Lipscomb or the somewhat closer losses to NC State, UK, whatever, it felt like we deserved to win this one. I didn't feel that way. At the end of the App State, Wright State, and Bellarmine games, I was already kind of numb. Like, don't get me wrong. I got excited when LLS it looked like he hit the game winner. I was floored when the kid from Wright State hit the jumper at the buzzer. But I also kind of felt like, you know what? We, we sort of deserve to lose. Like, if we would played with maximum effort, we win these games. It's not close in the final minute. This is, these aren't teams that should be playing with us on our home floor. It was already embarrassing. It's just a matter of actually taking the loss that is the final gut punch. Last night, I was upset because we played hard for 40 minutes. We didn't play perfectly and we will talk about that it's that line certainly bears that out but they played hard for 40 minutes they controlled the action I thought for the better part of 40 minutes and it really felt like they earned that victory and for it not to happen and for it to happen in the you know just calamity uh, comedy of errors in the in the final eight seconds the way that it did felt like a true gut punch I use the the word heartbreaker in my little quick post game write up, and mm-hmm. people were like, How? You can't break any hearts at this point. People have already checked out. And I was like, It still felt like a heartbreaker because I found myself in the moment it did. It did, it, it did for sure. And I know that, you know, time kind of goes on and you sort of see things more clearly. But when we when we were going blow for blow with them in the final four minutes, so, you know, we're making shots, they're making shots. I thought L. Ellis is, is you know, he had a couple of bad turnovers, certainly late, but. He's making big plays. Brent Huntley-Hatfield's making big plays. It really hit me how much I wanted them to win this game because it was a sign of uh, of progress. And it was maybe more importantly than a sign of progress. It was a sign that these kids have not quit despite having every opportunity to do so. Right. And that's a vote of confidence for this coaching staff. Like all of those things. And I was like, man, I really want them to win this game. It doesn't change anything big picture-wise. But it's, it's something that they deserve. They deserve to have this night where they feel good about themselves. And maybe it can be a catalyst to a better than expected performance in conference play and we all feel at least slightly better about the season than it looks like we're going to at the moment and then for it not to happen and for it to happen in such a gut-punch fashion just felt it felt unfair but again positive mike here positive mike at the start Woosa. of the show positive mike at the start of the show it absolutely was progress it absolutely was it doesn't mean you have to be happy about that it doesn't mean that you it, it doesn't mean right. that it excuses where we are and the fact that almost beating a just a, like say not great Syracuse team that I don't think is going to make the NCAA tournament, it, it doesn't mean that we should be celebrating that. But you also have to recognize that it's better than the lopsided losses that we took to, a, I think, a, a Florida State team that's probably worse than that Syracuse team, a Miami team that's good but had no business just doing whatever they wanted to to us for 40 minutes or early in the year. They showed more fight. They showed more enthusiasm. They, they showed more overall ability. It was a step in the right direction. It doesn't mean that it's, worth throwing a Pareto
3: no I mean on on one hand it should not take until game 15 the first game of the new year for us to finally say hey look they're playing hard Uh but on the other hand after watching the previous 14 games with the caveat maybe being the Western Kentucky game when they actually did play hard and appeared to give a rip it was nice to see them play with consistent fight, consistent effort, consistent energy, because we've seen that in spurts at various points of the year, whether it be to start the season, to an extent in Maui, in some of the more recent games. It was nice to see them from almost the opening horn because in the first, what, two minutes where Syracuse went up 8-2, it looked like Oh my God! They're playing zone. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure. I thought Louisville was going to get run out of the gym.
4: It looked like it, it because
3: this this is a team that doesn't shoot well, and what's the one thing you got to do well against zone?
4: Yeah, to shoot well and pass the ball and yeah. and take care of the ball, which we did two of those things pretty well. Yeah, the third horrifyingly fell short of, and and that's at the end of the day, it looked better. Because they played harder, and I thought they executed on offense a little bit better than they have in yes. some games past. Which is not—I I hate that I—it's a back—it feels like a backhanded compliment. It does. When you say I mean, you, it, it feels it everything that I say, and I don't mean this intentionally. It feels like the Jim Beheim spiel at the end of his postgame press conference yesterday, okay. where he, he's trying to be complimentary. Maybe we, we, I don't know if we have the ability to play this later, but he's trying to be complimentary to Louisville, and he's like, "Louisville, look." He's like, "I think they're gonna win some games," which. Would not be a compliment on January third in any other season in the history of Louisville basketball, but kind of felt like one last night. Mm-hmm. He's like, "I think LLS is really good. I think their big guys are okay." Is ex- I'm quoting Jim Beheim verbatim. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "I think they're th- th- they're they're kind of good." And he goes, "I hope they are," and kind of like looks around and shrugs because he knows that he almost just lost to this team. Yep. Like it, that's how I feel having to say these things because it was. So much was better last night. So much was better last night, but what you're improving from is the worst thing that we've we've ever seen. So while it is progress, it's still it's tough to be overly enthusiastic about it because it's still coming in the midst of a season that looks like it's turning towards the most losses in school history. But again, having said that, they deserve credit for improving. They deserve credit for still seeming to be bought in to what's being preached to them. And last night, I thought they deserved a win.
3: Yeah, I mean, you could have made an argument that in some of these more recent losses that maybe they are quitting i mean they did look like they Mm -hmm. were playing with effort against nc state but uh, there were spurts where they just had inexplicable bouts of listlessness and uh, of course there's been plenty of games where they just look like they don't want to be there we don't need to go rehash that out but even in the midst of this horrendous season when it feels like they're not really playing for anything because they're not it was refreshing to see them fight, and on offense, they, it didn't look like it was just four guys standing around while the ball handler just kind of dribbles around. No. On defense, they looked extremely active, especially in that like seven, eight-minute segment where they went seventeen-two in the first half, and then, yeah, Syracuse did end up having a seventeen-two run of their own. But the one thing with previous previous games with this Louisville team is that when they get punched, they get they don't just get punched; they get knocked out. They, they roll over the second adversity hits. But after Syracuse did kind of take take control of the game in the first half, they ended the first half strong. Took a lead into halftime for only the fourth time this year, which sounds horrible when saying it yeah. out loud. And they they didn't land the necessary blows to really pull away from Syracuse. But they didn't, again, this sounds like a backhanded compliment. They didn't give up the lead and for good until, what, 19 minutes into the second half? I mean, you can be upset that they lost this game. Sure. I'm not going to say you shouldn't be because this was a game that they probably should have won despite all of the mistakes that they made. But to completely dismiss this game as something where you shouldn't have the takeaway that there is progress. I mean, how can you, how can you say that that this isn't something to build on? For sure. It's
4: a game that I think six weeks ago, that team loses by double digits and we all just kind of expect that. So it it furthers my belief that they're going to win, I've been saying three games in the ACC, which still kind of feels about right. Uh, but yeah. I, I think they'll be competitive in some games that they probably don't have a, a business being competitive in. It's, I hesitate to, to be overly celebrated, like this is a great game for Louisville, this is a great night for Louisville, because at the end of the day, you're still losing to what is one of the more average Syracuse teams that we've seen since we've yeah. become conference mates, uh, you know. two decades ago basically at the end of the day it's still a loss it's still a loss and they did not make the last play that they needed to make and there were a couple of other plays that they didn't make in the final but your your point is is spot on we've seen it now three games in a row where they've they've allowed the other team to go on a big run the other team's gotten hot and in december and november that would have absolutely floored them they would have stayed down on the mat and we would have lost those games by 30 and we still lost the uk by 23 but they but they covered. <laughs> they covered. And they kept fighting. They did the same thing against NC State. And last night, they kept going punch for punch with Syracuse. And the big moment that I thought stood out to me last night, L. Ellis has the horrendous turnover. Not the last one, but the, the one before that, where he's just, we've, we've called timeout, we're setting up a play, we're, we're up by one, we have a chance to really take control of the game in the final minutes, and he just dribbles it off his knee right to Judimens, who takes it down and, and lays it in for a go-ahead point. And it seemed like at that moment, everybody kind of panicked for a split second, and it was like, "We've got losers' DNA. This is just what happens to us. Woe is me. I'm feeling sorry for myself." You could almost kind of sense Ellis, who has, who had had up to that point in the game that alpha mentality. I want to take the big shot. I want the ball in my hands. Like this is my. T-. He kind of he for a split second at least kind of cowered a little bit and was like, "I. People are t- talking about this. I'm screwing up again. Like I don't want this to be. I don't want this to be the talking point." And Brandon Huntley-Hatfield made a huge shot in the lane after we had a second chance opportunity to kind of calm everybody down and say, it's still a game. And then to his credit, Ellis, the next possession down after Syracuse scores, comes down, he hits a jumper to keep Louisville kind of fighting. And I thought that was a big moment because I I think, again, if you play that game in November, we wilt in the final minute, Syracuse runs away, they shoot free throws to end it. Now, we still did things wrong. At the end of the game, for instance, like yeah. the one thing you can't do defensively on those possessions is let Joe Girard catch and shoot and get a clear look at the basket. We did it like three times in a row, and we also fouled him as opposed to anybody else, considering he's like a ninety-nine point six percent free throw shooter. Like you cannot do those things if you want to win games in conference play, and then and not if, foul immediately in not, situations where you need to. Yeah. I, I still, for the life of me, don't understand
3: how they haven't grasped that. That and something else that really stood out to me as the game progressed. Almost every single time, there might have been one timeout where this didn't happen, but almost every, every single time out of a timeout, whatever play they ran, they completely
4: botched it. It doesn't go well. Every it, time. I've heard, listening to some of the radio calls, which by the way, 970 WGCK, uh, <laughs> new home of Cardinal Athletics. I've heard you know Bob Valvano and, and Paul Rogers, they sit close enough to the bench, they can hear, especially on the road, when Kenny's drawing up plays out of timeouts, and they're like, you know, Bob, former coach, like, he can see what Kenny's trying to do, and he said he always takes up for Kenny and and says like he's he's drawn good plays. The team just doesn't act, he's like There have been times where we've had Brent Huntley Hatfield on a pin down. It's it's gone right, and they just don't make the pass. They don't make the correct pass. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a disconnect between, I don't know who the blame lies on. I don't know if it's Kenny Payne calling bad plays. I don't know if it's the players not executing his vision properly. But it is a thing that after timeouts, it's like the anti Denny Crum where whatever we're trying to do with with the set play coming out of a timeout never seems to work. And it doesn't even seem to get us like a good shot. The maybe the the one that stands out as being opposite of that is at the end of the Bellarmine game where we get we got a good look for Kamari Lands. Yeah. It just kind of felt like wrong guy taking that shot and he didn't make it. But the last the, the end sequence. Cuz I think we've all sort of after we go down 3. It felt like Everybody in the building had resigned themselves to, this is a Syracuse win. Like, Syracuse players are celebrating like they've already won. Mm-hmm. We kind of are hanging our heads a little bit. Ellis, to his credit, knocks down two key free throws to keep us within striking distance. And then we get the break. Like, this team that has had nothing go their way has the break. Judah Menz just slips, getting across half court. Ellis got to pass the ball. Like, I know I'm the millionth person to say it today. And I know that he said he was going to. After the game, he said, I was going to pass the ball. I got raked across the arm. I got fouled by, I think it's Jesse Edwards who Jesse Edwards, yeah. Who made the back tip, and I, I didn't make a pass.
3: He waited a little bit too long to try and t-
4: attempt to go through the motions to make the pass. Yeah, yeah. It needed to be at least, if he was about to start the process of making the pass, that process needed to happen a full, almost second sooner.
2: Thing yeah. is, he was dribbling up with his right hand, and he crosses it over to his left. Jesse Edwards is on his, left, on his left, and that's when he gets the back tip. If he keeps it in his right hand, Mike James is
3: on his right. Yeah. It doesn't get back tipped. It's And see here's the thing, I don't I don't think Jesse Edwards fouled. It, L. Wasn't, a, it wasn't a foul. I, I don't the, think the, it,
4: if there was any contact it was incidental and minimal. You couldn't tell from the view that they had during the game. And I understand <laughs> why some local fans were looking at it and saying, you know, it looks like he kind of reaches in a little bit. There's that camera view um that I can't remember who who has the video from directly behind that was making its rounds on social media today. And I want to make sure I can give credit because I know I put it on the site today. Um, It's Cam uh, Cheryl or Cheryl has the video from the game directly behind L. Ellis. And you can see, and it looks like a clean back Mm tip. And in the
2: moment, to me, in that video, it looks like L's, if you watch his left arm, it's going up until Jesse Edwards' arm gets there. And then L's arm immediately goes down. I think the angle, you can't really see it hit it. But I think you can see L's arm clearly change go, from going up to going down. So you think you got fouled? I was behind the bench. And from there, in real time, I thought he got fouled.
4: I thought it was interesting watching the playback a few times. Because like, he says after the game pretty clearly, like I, yeah. I got fouled. <clears throat> he didn't react like he got fouled. He just kind of goes down and puts his head down on the ground, like I just I lost the game. Yeah.
3: In real time, to me, it, uh, granted I sat at the opposite baseline, but in real time, it looked like a turnover to me.
4: Yeah, it, it, I kind of thought the same. Yeah, I'm watching it right now. I mean, he just kind of sits there and like he just looks like oh no, like I I, I screwed up a little bit. And if it's not a foul, if it was a foul, he still I think mean, everybody agrees he needs you you dish that one off a half second at least sooner. Yeah. And if it happens, it's not. Like Syracuse has two guys back. They can rotate enough to contest the layup at the rim. But with Mike James and his athleticism and his size, you feel good about, at the very least, him drawing a foul in mm-hmm. that situation. And that's one. I don't know if it's a lack of faith in his teammates. I don't know if it's L trying to, you know, the, the old man take his, his hero ball. Like he, that was a big thing like eight years ago. Like, I don't know if that's the case regardless of what's going through his mind, that is a, a situation where you've got to trust your teammate. You've got to give him the ball because even if Edwards isn't in the picture, L's not scoring one-on-three. Like, like, no. like, he's not. Best case scenario, you get bailed out by a foul call, but that's, the odds are slim. He's a very good player. He's not Russ Smith. Russ Smith's the only level player in history that I think I would trust in that situation to try to go one-on-three. And even then, it, there's a, a large chance that it doesn't work out well. Just dish it off, man. And, and not only trust
3: your teammates... Mike James was having a career night. He Finished with 19 points, which was a career high. He was uh-huh. four of six from on threes. I mean, ride the hot hand, just dish it off to him. He hit the big one. To was it go up one?
4: Yeah, yeah. He hit a couple. He James was great last night, and this was mm-hmm. like had fur- two and ones. Further proof that Kenny Payne listens to the show and and you know wants to <laughs> to do all of our suggestions. We had Brett Dawson on yesterday, and Brett and I were both saying. <clears throat> We'd love to see this team go with a smaller lineup. Brett's big suggestion was, he's like, I think you just let Kamari Lands play through his mistakes. You go small. You have Huntley Hatfield at the 5. I want to see Lands and James play a little bit more on the floor together. It looked like it worked fairly well against Kentucky. And that's the starting lineup that we get from Kenny Payne last night. First time all season, Jalen Withers comes off the bench. Uh, J.D. Trainer back in the starting lineup. And I thought, for the most part, it worked as well as it could. Mm-hmm. It, it looked and it, it feels strange saying this about a team that turned the ball over 21 times, including 14 in the first half, but it looked like they were a more functional offense. It looked like something resembling major conference basketball for the first time all yeah. year. I mean, yeah, they had 21 turnovers, but it came with 17 assists. <laughs> <It> so they <laughs> weren't did. doing com- everything completely wrong. It wasn't the 21-5 ratio that we've gotten used to <laughs> over the season. Yeah. It, was, it, it was still more of the bad than the good, but the good was there. And, and we talked on the show yesterday, Syracuse is not, they don't allow a high number of, of, uh, of assists a lot of times because of the, the style of play, but we found a way to move. The, the ball was always moving. They looked to use Calipari's phrase that he's been using, beating into the ground. They looked deliberate. They, they had a game plan. Yes. They were executing it. Even when they were screwing up, they were trying to achieve something, which is, it hasn't been visible a lot of times this mm-hmm. year. You kind of been like, what are we trying to accomplish here? Is it's a whole lot of just rock pounding and then you know, last second LL's four shot. Like this felt like there was a game plan. We were trying to attack the zone the way that you're supposed to. It didn't always work, but they were they were moving. There was ball movement. It was fluid.
3: It looked like they were operating with a purpose, not just kind of free flowing doing nothing. Now, granted, I know Kenny Payne wants to have like some semblance of a free flowing offense, but then again he has to have some sort of system in place to where they know what to do when they are just kind of free flowing off each other. But last night it truly felt like what they were doing on offense it felt like they were doing something because they know what
4: to do in that situation versus just doing it just to do it for sure i think that it's well said the it was as we say all this i thought it was interesting following i follow a lot of you know Syracuse media people because there's like a million of them. yeah it's it's the good thing about following like covering a Syracuse game that week is there's no shortage of information that's out there. There's like seventy five different websites and you know a lot of different writers work at the post standard <clears> now <throat> still. They still employ a big sports desk. so you you you're always going to see the takes. And I thought it was funny, like the Louisville people last night are, are reacting to the game the same way that you and I are. They're saying, you know, this looks like real basketball for the first time. Like, this is the best they've looked. And Syracuse fans are like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> The ACC has never had a worse game. Both these teams are just giving the ball to one another. And it just, it was another just hammering home of the point that we have been, we're, we're jaded at this point because we've watched our team lose 28 times in 33 games, which yep. is astounding. But for us... It looked like something resembling ACC basketball for them. It was the, you know, it was embarrassing that they were that close to losing, and you can't believe we've turned the ball over 15 times. But baby steps for for us, I guess. I, I
3: think I tweeted something to the effect of, "This game is going to, whoever wins this game is going to be whoever stops turning the ball over." And I mean, it kind of that's ended up. That's exactly. That way. That's
4: exactly how it played out. Uh, we'll take our first break when we come back. Few more thoughts from last night. We talked about Kenny Payne's post game comments, also the post game comments. Uh, Besides his ending spiel from Jim Beheim, and your thoughts on the Thornton sex line at 502-414-1450. Before the break. Okay.
2: Uh, Trevor texted me yesterday that it was going to be a hip hop theme today. Okay. I'll Ooh. give you one guess at the first song.
4: It's definitely not a modern song. Vanilla Ice. It's got, uh, I mean. This <laughs> guest is going straight into the song. We're going to break. I've got no idea. Tribe Called Quest something.
0: That's oh Let me
4: see <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> boys and then freak nasty this is classic trevor this is i told you it's not gonna be anything modern he's not going past 99 99 may be pushing it he's not going past 97 which i think is when this song came out 97 or 98 this is what trevor does he's still impacting the show from wherever the hell he is right now uh that's fine patrick also during the break do we know where he is i I never know where he is every now and then he'll just be like yeah i'm in He's like, going out of town. He's like, the Taco Bell in Cheyenne has a terrible problem. like, why are you in Cheyenne? <laughs> I, I don't ask these questions. So that's fine. But uh, intern Patrick reassured us that the, he thinks the first segment recorded. He think, He's pretty sure it recorded. No, the first segment recorded. The fir- now, you're, now you're more confident. That's why we're on a roll. All right. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're on a roll. Matt McGavick with me in studio today for uh, today's Mike Rutherford Show. Uh, we're talking about last night's game against Syracuse. Cards fall by one, 70-69. I got six, the 69 right in my score prediction yesterday. I just thought that Syracuse was going to have – more than 70, and I'm glad they didn't. Three straight covers. We're on a roll. Taking this into Wake Forest on Saturday, a game that I don't know if you saw Rick Bozich. He wrote a big thing saying, cards are going to win this week. Cards are going to win this week. He was almost right last night. Can he be right on Saturday? It's a, dare I say, winnable game. It feel it. it feels kind of like this game. Wake has been fine. They have a better record than Syracuse did. They're a nine-point projected favorite on Ken Palm which I think is what Syracuse was going into last night mm-hmm. uh, we are playing at home I think it's a game that we can keep they beat I, App State by one they, they on a last second shot too they should have they um, should have lost that game I, 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 I mean Wake
3: certainly has a more impressive
4: resume than Syracuse does that's for sure they did beat Duke handily <laughs> recently which is not great and Virginia Tech I think last uh and they beat uh, Wisconsin last game out well yeah that's you not making me feel any better about this well, on the, yeah on hey, the road it's winnable they should have lost to App State, is my point. And we did too. We, that's the, Had to go to overtime with Utah Valley. That's where I'm going with this. Um, but we'll, we'll get them. They're 87 on Ken Palm, which is, I was going to say, within shouting distance of us, but it's not. We're, <laughs> we are 271. We're,
2: Slight up, update on uh, the Eastern Michigan. They got blown out last night. They got blown out by. I, I did really? see this.
4: They were, for those wondering why we're talking about this, not just because we have Imani Bates' interest, but Trevor and uh, fellow KRC intern. I say, I always say intern, and I you love calling him an intern. I know I don't mean that. I'm always I, <laughs> like word does, finding is an issue for me right he now. He does football play by play. I he know runs he does. The board for like, he runs the board for Spears and Denison. It's more of a Trevor thing because I said fellow, and I, Trevor's not an intern either. But I was saying I was looking for the word producer. Uh, he's a fellow Big X producer, Scooter Dingus, who does KRC every morning, seven to nine. You're home for Kentucky athletics, right here on the Big X. And they have a bet going about who's going to win more games this season, Eastern Michigan or Louisville. And it's a $500 bet. A lot of money on the line yet. And we are two months into the season now. And Scooter Dingus is holding what may be an insurmountable 3-2 to two lead. And last night, Eastern Michigan had a game. It was favored to win against Bowling Green. And they lost by, I believe, 24? I, was, I want to say it was 91-67 when I saw it earlier. And that's a big loss for them. It's not... We've got to be... Imani Bates is getting his numbers. He's getting his shots up. He's putting up his stats. We've got to be close to Imani packing it up and saying, I'm getting ready for the draft. Which is, at that point, that's when Trevor starts feeling pretty good about his bet. The only difference between Scoots and Trevor right now is the fact that Eastern Michigan got a game against Wayne State to open its season, a non-D1 team, that counts towards its official record. I think it needs to be D1 games. Well, that's... I told them it's five hundred dollars. You have to lay out the parameters very clearly, and they still do, they still don't know whether it's like regular season only or conference tournaments only. Like, Trevor's like I. They're talk, still debating that. Tre- well, Trevor forgets what he says every time. Oh, Trevor's like God. I told him it's uh, it's regular season only, and Scoot's agreed, and Scoot's like no, it's everything we talked about. What about, about if Eastern dollars. Michigan wins a game in the CBI? That's what I. The exact scenario that I laid out, and apparently that's going to count. And the problem is Trevor, who doesn't remember anything, is going to, and if that does happen. Is going to say I never agreed to that when we have it on air like fifteen times that he didn't hammer anything down. Scoots isn't going to come to the (laughs) pod. Roll the clip. We're going to have to roll the tape. Uh, But they've got that was a tough one for them. They have another winnable game this weekend against Central Michigan. But the current Ken Palm projections have Eastern Michigan going seven and twenty-four and four and fourteen in the Mid-American Conference. It has Louisville. For those wondering, um, this is not good for Trevor. It has Louisville going now four and twenty-seven and just two and eighteen. We we lost. We somehow lost a game. In the Ken Palm projections. He originally had us going 3-17 and 17 just uh, a week ago, and now we're, we're back. You know who's
3: uh, one spot ahead of
4: Louisville in the Ken Palm right now? Uh, it's Bellerman I believe. It is Bellarmine. It's Look, everything goes full circle around here. Back to the start. Bellerman beating us by one. One game at one spot ahead of us on Ken Palm. It, some of the other names down there, because I did scroll down there and look briefly. I mean, we're one spot ahead of the Citadel, one of four original D1 teams that has never been to the NCAA tournament. That's not great. Two spots. We're, like, we're in the same breath as not like, not just like miac teams and SWAC teams and Summit League teams, but bad teams from those conferences. It, it is unreal to see Louisville's name right there in the midst. So, I mean, Bowling Green, we're talking about them being like a winnable game for Eastern Michigan. They're 20 spots ahead of us on Ken Palm. And we're even lower in the net. But we only lost by one last night. And we played more cohesive basketball, more like a team, all that stuff, it was a step in the right direction, but it's a step in the right direction from like the depths of hell. It's the best, it's the, the best way that I can describe. Nowhere it. to go but up, baby. That's we've been saying that for, for two months now, <laughs> and we are slightly going up, and that's fine. Uh, Kenny Payne last night after the game, outside of just talking about the last play, which he he's he was more diplomatic than L. Ellis was. You know, he kind of said. Some coaches thought that L was fouled. L thought he got fouled. I'll have to look at the tape. Um, that, that was as much as he was willing to say it. But he, he did talk about the passing. He said, I like the way that we had the 17 assists, but when you turn the ball over 21 times, could that have been 15 more points, 8 more assists? We're getting better. I'll continue to say it. We're getting better. But mentally, there are times where we have moments where we are like floating. Mentally, we float. I dribble up. I know I have to make a pass, but instead of faking the pass... I telegraph the pass, and they take it from me. But, again, we're getting better at taking care of the ball, which, which I don't know if we are at that part. Like, I think we're getting better at running offense and certainly sharing the ball, but the, the valuing un- the possession is still very much an issue with this team. Especially the unforced errors. And that's the thing. If you're playing a really – I mean, Syracuse doesn't generate a whole bunch of turnovers in, out of that zone. They, you know, they're not gonna. They press us a little bit to kill some time. We we pressed them effectively last night again. I thought, which every time we bust that press out in the end of games, it seems like it works a little bit. But they're going to sit back. They want you to take bad shot. They don't necessarily want to turn you over and get out in transition against those teams. You're not okay with turning the ball over 15, 17 times. But it's more understandable than when you're playing a team and you give them five possessions just because you know L dribbles the ball off his foot or we once again. Catch the ball standing out of bounds multiple times, which happened twice last night.
2: Like, or we get three shot clock violations. Was it three? Was it three, or was it two? It Regardless, it there was at many least many two. There's at least two, and then L. Ellis took a logo three at the end of a shot clock, which is, for all intents and purposes, a shot clock violation. Yeah,
4: I they called that one on the broadcast. They were like, it's a shot clock violation. I'm like, eh, not really. But that's what you have to clean up, and that's. We are playing. We've lost four close games. And in all four of them, we were the team that was more careless with the ball. We were the team mm-hmm. that didn't value the possession as much. And if we had just cleaned up, you know, you don't even I'm not saying you have to play perfect. I'm not saying you have to be 10 years ago. I'm not saying you have to be held you know, last year. But if you just clean up that little stuff a bit, a touch, you win all four of those games. And it, it, it's not the best season in the world, but my God, six and nine feels a whole lot better than two and thirteen. Yeah.
3: If your turnover rate literally is not bottom ten in all of Division One basketball, this might be a
4: five-six win team. Yeah. I mean, you can make the case for it, which is something. Like, like it's easier. We've been talking about the you know, the grand Kenny Payne argument, which is not going anywhere. It continues to to rage on out of control now. The Kenny Payne argument is a lot easier to make for those who believe that he's good for Louisville basketball and can be great for Louisville basketball moving forward if you're having a season that's within shouting distance of 500, And nobody cares if you beat App State by, by two, if you beat Bellarmine by three, if you beat Wright State by – those are just wins at the end of the day. But losing to those teams matters significantly. And if we you – know, say we take the Lipscomb loss. That's fine. We lost to, to Furman last year. Lipscomb's a, a whatever. Team. They lost to Liberty by 27 the other night. Yeah, they got hammered. They're not great, but they've been a good program. Every team has a hiccup or two. Every team has a hiccup. I mean, hell. I mean, Syracuse, who we just lost to, also got beat by Bryant <laughs> and Colgate. Um, Colgate destroyed them. Mm-hmm. But if you have those three other wins, if you take care of business, win close games, beat Syracuse, you're one and three in conference play. It's nothing like there's still a debate. People are still pissed off that you know, we're not better, but it's more of a fair debate. There, there's yes. more evidence for one side, whereas right now, like we keep saying, the evidence for the I believe in Kenny Payne side is just I believe in Kenny Payne. Like It's, it's just hope. It's just the trust we, KP thing.
3: I mean, we, we, we don't have to beat around the bush. I mean, if you're at this point still saying you believe in Kenny Payne, I mean, that's more so hope than basing anything in pure evidence right now. Because, I mean, at this point, I think we can all agree that Kenny Payne's starting point when it comes to his overall coaching acumen was a lot lower than I think we all anticipated it would be. And that's on top of the roster mismanagement, the misses in the transfer portal, recruiting not going how we expected it to be up to this point. I mean, there's progress. There's absolute progress. But like you've said already on the show, it's progress from an already pretty low starting point. But I will say this as it pertains to his comments uh, post game, I fully expected him to maybe not drive home the point that he was satisfied with the improved effort that he saw but i expected to be more more so of a talking point he mentioned it in passing maybe twice but more so use that that press conference to kind of drive home the point hey we should have won this game mm-hmm. we made too many mistakes this was a game that was extremely winnable and we let it slip from the grass and that i liked hearing that from him I mean I'm, I know I you're kind of picking picking at things at this point based on a press conference where they lost the game but I mean I, I'm glad he didn't choose for his overall talking points and that'd be like yeah the effort was a lot better yeah the effort was a lot better but instead he chose like he chose to use it as a
4: point of saying we should have won this game period I like it too because it, it goes back to something we were talking about yesterday it says to me I mean the end goal isn't trying to win eight games in the ACC The end goal is getting Louisville basketball back to winning national titles, back to being in the mix for being a legitimate national title contender just about every season, because that's the standard of the program. And if you're sitting here, you know, gushing over a one-point loss to a whatever Syracuse team, I get that you can do that in the midst of a historically bad season, but it's not going to, it doesn't drive home the point that, like, you have larger aspirations moving forward. Saying, like, like, still being upset with the way that things are, even though the team looked significantly improved from what we saw earlier in the season I like it like I think that's been one of the biggest complaints that people have had with Kenny Payne is and it's probably not fair but his demeanor like the casual nature that he has kind of you know laughing off losses shrugging off losses looking like the it it, a lot of people take that as like I don't this doesn't bother me right like like, we're two and thirteen Whatever, like it's, it's you know we'll we'll get there. Just trust me. I think people want to see him a little bit more pissed off and him, you know, not accepting, not you know being overly enthusiastic about his team losing just by one point in a conference game at home. I it, it's a small thing, but I think it does speak to the, what the fan base wants to see, which is like this is bothering me more than it bothers you, and I'm hell bent on not just getting it improved next season, but getting it to the point eventually where. You want it to be where it was when I was at Kentucky.
3: It's certainly moving from his message in the first month or se- month of the season where he was like, I'm more so concerned with winning or learning, I'm not concerned with the losses. Now he's starting to shift a little bit to where, yeah, he still wants to win or learn, but now that if they're if his team has an opportunity to actually win a
4: game and they let it slip through their fingers, he's not going to shy away from voicing his displeasure. No, should he? I mean, it's never been, I mean, we've never had a head coach, and I know that we're. You know, we're fortunate to up until 2018, the only coaches that most of us have ever known were a pair of Hall of Famers. But even with with, with Chris Mack, you get accustomed to this sort of grizzled, like, I would die to win mentality. And it may not work out great for you in your your personal life, but it's great for being (laughs) the head basketball coach at a place like Louisville or a place like Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or North Carolina or Indiana or what have you. And... I think that there was a, a hesitancy with Kenny Payne having never been a head coach before. We didn't know, and we still don't know really, it's, we're only halfway through his first season, what his stance on that is going to be. Like, are you a guy that's going to, to live this 24 hours a day? Because you have to. Like, like when you yeah. go out, nobody's going to be like, oh, there's, you know, there's that guy I recognize. Like, People are going to want to talk to you about basketball. People are going to want to be upset with you if you're, if you're losing, and they're going to want to take pictures with you if you're winning. Like, this is, this is the job. And if you're not willing to just live in the gym, live in the, the office, which people say he does, then you're not cut out for it. And, and I think that it's one thing to hear people talking about. like L, I think it was LL said, I, like, I think he sleeps at the office. I think he's always there. Like, we never see him when he's not there. Like, that's, that's great. But we want to have that message come from you. Like, like We want right. to know that you are a basketball psycho. And doing things like saying, like I'm, I'm not happy about a one-point loss to anybody – is a a step in that direction because the whole, you know, winning or learning, it's more about culture. It's more about loving them up, like all that. Like it's just – it plays when you're actually winning. If it's like, hey, you know, we don't care about winning that much, but we're doing it. It's a nice little byproduct of what we're trying to instill here. Like that's one thing. But when you're saying those things and you're not winning, it's not going to play here. And I think you're learning that even when you're as successful as John Calipari, who's won a national Mm -hmm. title, he's in the Hall of Fame, he could get away with the whole players first It's more about the NBA than it is about winning titles. When he was winning titles and going to Final Fours, it's not playing as well in 2022 when they haven't been to a Final Four since 2015 and they haven't won a national title in over a decade. It's
2: actually 2023,
4: Mike. What? You said it's not playing as well in 2022. Thank you, Patrick. For that. Uh, it's it's not playing as well in 2023 as it was You know, when he was at the peak. He could get away with saying those yep. things. And everybody can when they're winning. They can't when they're losing.
3: I'm going to make a little bit of an apples to oranges comparison, so it, it might not completely land, so bear with me. Okay. It, it, it's one thing for Scott Satterfield to do all those things, and then kind of in retrospect see, hey, this team had a little bit more talent on the 2018 team than we thought it did. Bobby Petrino just just kind of lost the locker room and then we look at this team now in halfway this season the talent level isn't what we thought it was going to be at least during over the offseason we, yeah. we had optimism that it was going to be able to that the talent on the team was going to be able to reach the majority of its potential but it seems like i don't want to say there's no talent on this team because there very certainly is but we might have over the off season, and i say we uh, like just overbearing like people in general like any an, most people in all camps, well, no matter what your stance is, probably can all agree that the talent on this team might not be as high as we originally thought it might.
4: I think that that's, again,
3: apples and oranges comparison. I know. No, no,
4: I think that's totally fair. I, I do think that like games like last night's show that the talent level, while it's not where we expect it to be, is at a level where we shouldn't be two and thirteen. I think that's fair to say. I mean, L. Ellis is a yes. ACC caliber guard. Mike James is has the potential to be what we hoped he was going. I mean, he's been this big mystery for the last year and a half. I think he has the potential to be what we hoped he would be. Brandon Huntley Hatfield does things. He was Huntley Hatfield for as whatever as he was for the first thirty five minutes was phenomenal. In the last five minutes, he made that that fantastic pass to James in the corner for the three. He hit that shot to get us going, to to put us back up by one when it looked like we were about to fold. Hit the buzzer beater at the end of the half. Hit the buzzer beater at the end of the half. But especially in those last few possessions, I thought he was phenomenal. And he has the ability to be a really, really good college player who makes a living playing this game, whether it's in the NBA or or abroad, for a long time. And I think you can say that about (laughs) a lot of these guys on this team. Jalen Withers, we've seen the potential at times. Like There is enough talent on this team to be much better than they've been. I'm not saying there's enough talent to be – an NCAA tournament team or a second weekend of the NCAA tournament team. But last night showed, like, they, they shouldn't be losing by 30 to Florida State. No. They, they shouldn't be getting blown out by these average teams. They shouldn't be losing to these bad teams from lower conferences. And I think we all kind of knew that, but last night kind of drove home. There's more talent on this roster than – With the Kroger Plus – Thank you, Patrick. There's, there's more talent on this <laughs> roster. I was getting the music
2: ready. <laughs> I didn't realize I had on. I love these that These lights jingle. don't work.
4: It's fine. I don't even know what I'm saying now. We're good. These lights don't work on the board <laughs> It's okay, it's, it, it's the board's fault We, we, we Everything's wrong here, it's, it's okay Text us on the Thornton's <laughs> text line At 502-414-1450 if We're going to take our break here Don't end, get your Kroger Plus card Don't get the Thornton's Professional Rewards <laughs> Don't get your Kroger Plus card Definitely get the Thornton's Professional Rewards Kroger Plus card's not getting you anything for free Thornton's Professional Rewards card It's getting you free breakfast sandwiches, free drinks It's getting you everything uh, Text us at 502-414-1450 We'll take some texts for the first time Coming up in hour number two Keep it locked right here the Mike brother for on 1450 the big X.
0: this is it what? lucini the sky let's be rich why keep the sugar can't quit What? now pop the in the and get lit why What? Let's this All right, Welcome
4: back again to the Mike Rutherford Show, hour number two here on 1450 and 961 The Big X. Reminding you again, if you have problems this winter, God, it's like 75 degrees in this building, so I can't, I can't do this read really without thinking about that. But it's going <laughs> to get cold again sometime soon. I promise that. And when it does, your heating may go out, you may have an issue that you didn't foresee. I mean, we had our heating went out, turns out we had a little rock got stuck in the the motor, broke the whole thing, could never have seen that coming. Had to call our guys over at AirServe, which you can do any hour of any day at 502-264-9662. AirServe has technicians available for you 24-7. They're going to come over to your house, they're going to fix your problem, and they're also going to make sure that you're comfortable and breathing the highest quality air in your home or your place of business. Again, airserve.com slash Louisville is the website. 502-264-9662 is the phone number. Matt McGavick from Louisville Report in the studio today. Follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore McGavick. I still miss General Wasp, but that's okay. I yeah. know, I know. It's I fine.
2: Also did a little research. Okay. Th- this song uh, came out in 1997, and that's not <laughs> the most recent Trevor gets with these songs. He's got one coming after
4: 1997 soon. Interesting. Is, there, is it in the 2000s? You can give that away. No, he doesn't <laughs> get up to the 2000. I knew it. I knew 98, 99 was long. I was trying to think of when Trevor always says there's that period where he's like off the grid, lost in. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> well, you don't need to. You're young. Yeah. He's fine. <coughs> Excuse me. He's, he's basically like when they say in the sand lot that one of them, who is it, the, the first baseman, got, locked, got really into the 60s and nobody ever heard from him again? Was it the tall one? Did the tall, skinny one? Hit <laughs> my, my cough button real quick. Hey, Matt. How are you? Hey, doing good. I got a almond stuck in my throat. Um, <laughs> God, what a great show today. It, it's the tall one. It was, it was, was it Timmy and Tommy, the, tw- the twins? Yeah, they were the twins. But I don't think that was him. I, I don't think he was the. Was it Yeah Yeah? No, 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 it was not. Definitely a Yaya. wasn't Yeah Yeah. Yeah, he was a shortstop. But he got really into the 60s and got lost. That's what happened to Trevor in the, I think, early aughts. Is, that's the best way I can phrase it. And he has no frame of reference for what was happening. God, it cannot get this all in. 502 414 1450. Timmy so. Timmons is who it was. Tim, so it was the, the older yeah. of the the, the Timmy. The I had to Google it. It was bugging me. <laughs> Good Lord. I cannot I cannot breathe. <laughs> uh, so what, what happened to Tommy, though? Uh, Tommy, no, Tommy invented a bunch of stuff. No,
2: uh, it's Bertram that got uh, lost in the 60s. Bertram is.
4: That's right. Bertram's the one who got lost in the 60s because Timmy and Tommy invented the mini mall.
2: Yeah, I'm looking That's at the right. com. Bertram Grover, weak, g- played in the Sandlot team in
4: 1962. Got lost in the 60s, and nobody ever heard from him again. I should have really not let the text line know that I had a nut stuck in my throat. Is that, <laughs> it's all anybody's talking about now. It's all anybody's talking about. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> it was, a, it was You know what? Hand up. Error in judgment. Mistake on my part. Very big slip up. Before we get to the text line of their thoughts, we got to talk about <coughs> getting hot. I can't stop. I can't stop. I'm dying. <coughs> this is why... I, thank you, Patrick, for <laughs> This is why I needed a, a cough button in the studio. It's the only good thing about the... Uh, when we have to go across the bridge. Uh, the, hey, there's plenty good about, this,
2: about this. There <laughs>
4: is, I enjoy the... There is. I enjoy the decor. The decor is nice. I don't enjoy the, the yellow wall foam. The yellow wall foam is nice. I don't enjoy the prison lighting and the motor oil smell that I always come home with. But hey, my grandpa lives there. He does, and I'm not blaming him. Every house has a smell. I just don't like that it attaches itself to me. And, and it might
2: not smell like that in his apartment area of the studio. I hope it doesn't.
4: Uh, but in our little area, I blame it on Nick Roush. That's who I'm choosing to blame. As I blame him for everything. That's what it smells. Good like. person to blame. He's a cards fan. He's diehard. I think I'm
3: okay. <clears throat> Must have been a pretty big nut to choke <sighs> on it like that, Matt.
4: <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Trying to, trying to cut this thing off.
2: <laughs> Mike, would you say you only choke on Big bigness? Uh, okay. Can okay.
4: <laughs> you guys are spreading the virus. You're driving the. You're... <laughs> trying to cut this thing off. You guys are driving the virus to the airport. Um, I don't even know what we're talking about. Oh, Bobby Petrino. We've got to get to this before we get to the text line and your thoughts on the Syracuse game, Bobby Petrino after there was a rumor about what a month and a half ago I wanted, maybe not that long it was about a month ago about that, 3 weeks ago yeah was that god it was that, things move quickly 3 weeks ago there was a rumor that he was going to join Jimbo Fisher's staff at Texas A&M to become the new offensive coordinator that fizzled out for whatever reason and he then signed on we thought to be the offensive coordinator at UNLV and now we find out today via everybody who covers college football that they're working Texas A&M is on signing Bobby Petrino to actually, in fact, become the new offensive coordinator under Jimbo Fisher, and he's going to call the plays. This is the – remember that old Showtime show that would – the season, they followed a different football team every year. Yeah. They were following Florida (coughs) State for the Lamar game. And if ever there was a documentary series that needed to focus on a team, do it on Texas A&M football for this year. Dear football gods, please give us this. We need it. The most dysfunctional staff that I think you could come up with. You got DJ Durkin, you've got Bobby Petrino, you've got Jimbo Fisher, and Steve Adazio. And Steve Adazio's is cool, though. At least he he may be a, a psycho, but he hasn't committed any crimes, which that we know of. Potentially, I mean, you've got you got on the on the other staff, you've got murder, you've got sex stuff, you've got player abuse. You you've got it's like the Holy Trinity <laughs> of just, yeah. Awful things that football coaches can do. I'm going
3: to create an environment that is so toxic.
4: That's exactly what's happening here, and you have to, because the original thought when Petrino was coming there was that Fisher didn't want to give up play calling duties, and that was what kind of drew, sucked the wedge in between Petrino and, and making the move to Texas A&M. Now, all the reports that are out there are saying he's coming here, he's taking over the play calling duties. This also gives Jimbo kind of an out. Like, he's been highly criticized down there. They have a ton of talent. They don't win at a high enough level. If they suck this year on offense, Jimbo can at least point to Petrino and say he's like he's the problem. He's yeah, the, offensive genius, my ass.
3: And, and maybe Jimbo is seeing the writing on the wall, all those Texas A&M boosters with all that oil money. Yeah, $90 million buyout, nah, we can pay it. Maybe he's feeling that pressure a little bit. Could be.
4: Can we also just say it? Like, Ruben Owens was going to come here, didn't want to. Mm-hmm reportedly because he thought Jeff Brown was too of a pass-happy coach. You know who's also a pass-happy coach? Bobby Petrino. Come back, Ruben. Come back into the fold, baby. Come here. Bring Ruben home. Next season, you can be fine. Uh, so Petrino, that will be something to monitor. That should be... I like to think he got to Vegas and realized he couldn't live there
3: full-time. I would have loved to see Bobby Petrino spend a full season in Vegas and just the absolute
4: bleep show that would have been. That would have been fantastic to watch. It. It, it really would have been. I mean... Petrino in Vegas for a solid, yeah, I like to think that somebody got in his ear and was just like, this isn't a good idea. You, you can't handle this. This is going to be bad. Uh, but regardless, he's, he's going to College Station now. This should be fun to monitor. 502-414-1450 is the Thornton sex line. We'll take some thoughts now for the, uh, the first time on the show. Texture says, so, this guy always calls you Intern Chad. And I don't, think he, I don't <laughs> think he knows your name, but he just goes, quote, I'm a little flustered, Intern Chad. I was a little flustered. <clears throat> You, we've we've all been a little flustered during the show today. That's okay. He also said Jim Beheim nonchalantly decimating our personnel in a media session is a highlight of last night. It I mean, I get what Beheim because I because I go through this mental process every time on the show. He's trying to be complimentary, but you realize you can't be you can't paint it the way that you want to because no one's going to buy it. And so he's like, I think Louisville. You know that he wants to say I think Louisville's good. He realizes that he can't get to that. He can't be that definitive about it. So he's like, I think Louisville. I think they're gonna win some games. And then he's like, LOS is really good. He goes, They're big men, and he realizes he can't say they are great. He's like, They're okay. Like it, it was just he wasn't trying to just toss us under the bus, but he absolutely did. You can't
2: really directly toss a team under the bus that you just beat by one point, but you also can't paint a two and thirteen team in a super positive light. And that's how he ended this so film. He's just like, Yeah, you gotta find the well, happy middle ground.
4: They're okay. He kept trying, and at the end he's like he's like, I think they're you know, they're they're, they're so. kind of good and he was like I hope so at least you could just tell he was like I mean you know, if, if they're not good if they are if they are the worst power conference team in America what does that say about us <laughs> by the way Cal just beat Colorado on New Year's Eve we haven't mentioned that but that's they have a conference win though mm. the race between Louisville and Cal is getting yeah. at
3: okay. least at least Beheim was more complimentar-
4: complimentary about Louisville than uh, Kevin Wood was he was which isn't a low bar which is a very low bar both feel like they've been treated unfairly by Louisville over the years. Bayhom because he couldn't beat Rick Pitino. Willard because he, um, you know, I think, is loyal to Pitino and also couldn't get a look for the coaching job. But they have, their, they have their reasons, just different reasons. Texas says, Trevor has mastered what he does. Mike, the stream is down about 35% of the time. I was trying to draw a parallel between Trevor and Jim I was. Hey, Trevor has no control of the stream. It's not his fault. He doesn't. Trevor does, what Trevor knows. He he usually Trevor knows could maybe when get here five minutes earlier, or more, more than five. But that's okay. That's that's a different discussion. That's he's on. He's in the. He's in the parking lot at like two forty five
2: every day. I'll it never doesn't it. Doesn't walk in here till three. I'll never get it. One okay. time I was in here earlier, and I'm watching the computer, and he's adding logs to the. He's adding ads to the ad break from his car on his phone, so he didn't have to walk in for another minute. Yeah, I don't. I don't
4: understand <laughs> it, but. Look, what do you want me to do? And he
2: got mad at me because I was moving the
4: mouse. And he was like, you played an ad during the national show. I was yeah. like, get in here then. I remember that day. Texas says, uh, this team has more talent than what many people have said. It's still all about coaching or lack thereof for me to spot where we are, are in. Uh, for us to be in the spot where we are in. I mean, that, that's become the great debate. Is We're 2-13. We're 0-4 in conference play for the first time since the— Start of the 90s. Who, like, when that's the case, and I'm repeating myself if you've listened to the show before, nobody's doing their job effectively. It's not, you know, it's on everybody. For it to be this much of a colossal failure at a place like Louisville, it's not just the coaches, it's not just the players, it's it's the fans too, it's the person, it's everybody. And plus, whose job is it to assemble the roster? There's that. But now it's become this whole thing, and, I, and, and I get multiple people saying this to me every day. Like, you know, this happens, this happens. It's clear that this isn't a Kenny Payne problem. It's on the players. Like, a, a guy on Twitter who's, who's texted me, tweeted at me right before the show, he's like, everybody who's ever played, college ba- played basketball in eighth grade knows on a fast break, you don't dribble down the middle of the floor, get to the wing, somebody else runs to the middle. Like, this is basic stuff. It's a, this isn't on Kenny Payne, and the, the Payne haters refuse to acknowledge this.
3: And I was like, well, shouldn't Payne coach? That's them? my thing. Is if, if
4: everybody knows this in eighth grade, what does it say that we've got a guy who's played four seasons of college basketball, including two at Louisville, and is halfway through his first season with Kenny Payne who still doesn't know that? Like, that's – I mean, come on. Like, like you, you can't say those two things. They're at odds with each other. Th-
3: going back to the, the fact that a lot of people think that there's a lot more talent on the scene than there is, which I partially subscribe to that notion, but I think the the talent isn't being able to break through and show its true potential because of the fact that the roster – was so grossly mismanaged over the offseason. Exactly.
4: And that's, whose job is that? Like, we knew, we, we, we knew, like, like I mean, the guard thing was the guard, and there's no point in getting into it again, but it's, <laughs> the roster should be better than what We're it is. We're beating that dead horse to a point where it's a pulp now. But it, it's a, a part of the conversation. Like, I think, and I, I hate saying this, but if you are, the best thing for Louisville basketball right now, because Kenny Payne, unless something, Unforeseen happens, whether that's Payne not wanting the job or Josh Hurd making a move that nobody, I think, sees coming right now. Payne's gonna be your coach next season. Yeah, it's more likely than not that he probably gets three years. The best thing for Louisville is he's not the biggest issue right now, and you kind of it puts you in this weird position where you kind of have to hope that the kids are the problem, like they just they don't grasp game plans, they don't, and I don't think that that's I don't think it's that simple. It's not. We just have a bunch of bad eggs. I know everybody points to the fact that Chris Mac said he couldn't get through to the kids last year. Keep in mind, this was also a, a team that was—they were better last year. They won 13 games. They were 10-4 and four at one point in the season. They beat decent teams. They were competitive against really good teams. And, yeah, I mean, did you maybe have a disconnect between the coaching staff and the players? Sure, but there were a lot of things going on. You had the you know, Mac. i mean, the, the players were like, we didn't know who the coach was, basically. You know, Mac was not there at the beginning of the season— in the preseason Ross Picmanes was installing his offense and he kind of was taking control and then Matt comes back and it's like we have him and Pegues kind of at odds like you know not not at odds against one another but like who do we listen to more right. and then it goes back to Pegues like we've had stability since Kenny Payne took over in March like he's been the predominant voice on this team everybody knows who's in charge for us to still be having like we shouldn't be having those issues like the, the, this should be a step forward we should be better and more consistent than we were a year ago and if there are just bad apples in this bunch, like they should have been weeded out. Like, I mean, Rick yeah. Pitino took over a roster that won 12 games the year before under Denny Crum. And his mo- the only guys that he added, the two most talented newcomers, he kicked off the team before January because they were, they were bad eggs. And like it was, I'm going to do things my way. If you want to be a part of that, so be it. If you don't, we're going to be fine. And they were. Like they, they almost made the, the NCAA tournament that year and they were a four seed in year two. I don't think that we're going to get there right now, being on the trajectory that we're on. just going to hope that he kills at the
3: transfer portal at this point. That's it. I
4: mean, that's. There's a million ways to talk about it. At the end of the day, that's the big thing. Yeah. And and I know
3: before we move on, like a lot of people say, look what he inherited. Only six players from last year returned. That's less than half the roster, less than half the scholarship roster. Yeah. So, like, I, I get where they come from, but in the same breath, most of this team. Is players that Kenny Payne went out and got, whether it's like retaining high school talent or getting through the transfer portal, whatever he did get.
4: We also retained the guys that I think a majority of the fan base wanted. Like when we had the conversation in the middle of the year, who do you want back for next season? Which you know there was that conversation came up a lot because there was I think at this when you got to January you realized this is whether it's Chris Mack still here or somebody else here, there's going to be a, a roster overhaul, and the six that we kept were. For the most part, the six that most people wanted. Dre Davis was a little bit on. You know, he's on some people's list. He yeah. wasn't on some people's list. But people were like Samuel Williamson, gone. Doesn't play hard enough. Not enough of a dog. Get him out of here. Know a lot people hated the fact that he you know, took bad shots. Didn't play good enough defense. Um, you know, whoever else, gone. Matt gone. Cross. Well, Matt Cross was. It didn't matter if people wanted him or not. He was. <laughs> he was leaving. <laughs> Matt Cross doing like December. He, I'm not going to be here next year. But people wanted L. Ellis back. L. L. and Sidney Curry were the two guys everybody wanted back. Yes. I think people thought they'd heard enough positive things about Mike James that you wanted to see what he could do. People definitely wanted to have you know, Trainer and Roosevelt Wheeler back in the front court to see what they were capable of. Like, and Jalen Withers was another guy that I think we thought we saw what, a glimpse of what he was capable of as, as a redshirt freshman where he averaged, what, like 10-7? On a better team than the the one last year, where he was barely denting any box scores, he made the all freshman year uh, team. He did, didn't? and deservedly so. Like he looked great at times as a as a redshirt freshman in that season. And we got those guys back, and those are the guys that a lot of times are, are letting you down. Like it's it should be better than it is. You needed to add more pieces. You didn't. The ones you got, a couple of them are are good. You kept Kamari Lance, which you just you deserve credit for. You got Brandon Huntley Hatfield, but which has some flashes. Not enough was done, yeah. and the guys that we did bring back have not improved enough for us to be better than the worst we've ever seen. Texture says, why do we continue to play Curry? He still doesn't try at all. Q's abused him in screen situations the entire game. He's the weak link, and why we are so poor on defense. I don't—I mean, I, you hate being just, too harsh on kids individually, yeah. but last night was definitely a game where Syracuse made no attempt to hide the fact that their offensive game plan was get him in high ball screen. Like like we're right. anytime Sidney Curry is guarding you, you're the man setting the screen. We're going, and, and we did. And that's, I know there was a large foul disparity. I know the fans were upset about the officiating last night, but part of the reason why we fouled so much was because we could not defend the high pick and roll at all when they got Sidney Curry in it. And we just had dudes just, grabbing
3: not only that on on offense there were a couple instances in the first five or ten minutes where curry's going over up for dunk with just one hand either use both hands or lay it up man yeah you can't go one for six from the free throw line either
4: that's i mean it was the first time what kelly dickey said it's the second time in 50 years that we've had a game that we lost by one where we shot worse than 50 percent of the free throw line the only other time was morehead state in 2011 in the ncaa tournament which was i love seeing that status if i wasn't down enough last night he was like, just you know, just drive that just one. Twist home. the knife a little bit more. But four of ten from the free throw line, and yeah, five of those misses were were from Sidney Curry. It was that's got to get better. We only yep. have
2: three players shoot free throws.
4: Not good, not good. I mean, and I, I know that the don't get me wrong, there were certainly some calls last night that I took issue with, but the free throw disparity, a lot of that is, I mean, Syracuse again, I don't, they play zone. Like like mm-hmm. it, you're going to shoot less free throws against them unless you're attacking that middle effectively and then attacking their big man. And Jesse Edwards is such a good shot blocker that we, I think, rightly so, didn't really go at him a whole lot. And when we did, he, right. uh, he blocked our shots pretty effectively. He
2: had five blocks,
4: I think. He was, yeah, I mean, that, like that's what he does. He averages three a game. He's had five or more, I think, eight times this season already. Like, he's a very good shot blocker. He's the guy at the back of the zone that they have not had in recent years. And so when you have that setup, you're probably not going to shoot as many free throws as you would against a normal opponent. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying it, should have been quite as stark as it was, but there's a reason why they shot more free throws than we did last night. I thought when we put L in the middle of the zone, he looked really good passing out of it. He does. The, the problem is you have to get somebody at the top to get him the ball in there, which is we struggle with. But I thought he did a good job. I thought at times Mike James did a good job. J.J. Trainer was okay when we put him in there. We did Huntley Hatfield flashed a few times, too. and he, he Alex and Huntley things. Hatfield
2: get the ball inside and make the shot. As opposed to what I felt like happened every time before the last three games, where he would get it inside, get a dribble, get a decent sh- contested right hand hook, and just completely brick it. Yeah, I feel like that happened more times than it didn't. Or he would just drop the ball sometimes.
4: He's been showing flashes. I I, He's I been like better the last three games. I, I like what we've seen recently from from B H H. Texas says fourteen turnovers in the first half, seven in the second half, but two in the last minute. That's yeah, they they yeah. cleaned it up Thank in the second you. half. I
3: think eleven or eleven of those turnovers were in the first thirteen minutes of the game.
4: And we, anyway, it was a, it was the first thirteen minutes where we had spurts where we played really well. It was just we let them back in it with our carelessness, mm-hmm. and we had a chance to really. I mean, we haven't played with a hefty lead at all this season. We no. led for most of the Wright State game, but that <clears> lead was <throat> they were always within striking distance of yeah. us. They and, had an early opportunity to put their
3: their foot on Syracuse's throat yeah, after and going did, up 17-2. And then Syracuse, out of timeout, they mounted their own run. Now, to Louisville's credit, they were able to chip back and go up at halftime with the lead. But they had a really early opportunity in that game to not only take control, but establish
4: dominance in that game, and they couldn't do it. I know this isn't the case, even though we had the discussion after the Lipscomb game where it was like Kenny Payne's like... we. Like we may have taken them lightly and everybody's like, how, how are you? Ta- how? Gosh. They're favored. You're an underdog. It still does seem like there are times where when this team gets it going a little bit, they relax because it's like, I knew we were this good all along. Like, like, see? Like, like, we've always known this. And like, and then they quickly realize we're not good enough to, to ever just go through the motions on any possession on either end of the floor. Like, this is one of those teams where if you're not playing just your ass off every second of every game you're going to get exposed because you're not that good. I know you're at Louisville. I know a lot of you had fairly high high school rankings. I know that L was the number one junior college player in America. Doesn't matter. You're, two th- you're a 2-12 and 12 team going into last night. If you let up at all against anybody, you're going to get exposed because you're not that good. You're just not. And I don't think that that's gotten through their heads uh, at this point yet. Texter says, uh, Jimmy Dykes talked a lot yesterday. Is this a KRC text? That, that, <laughs> that's fine. We're reading it. Uh, Jimmy Dykes talked a lot yesterday about Kentucky being the most overanalyzed team in college basketball, and there's a lot of truth to that. For all the complaining about the offense, we're currently 15th in efficiency and 46th on defense.
2: I think Kentucky likes to think they're the most overanalyzed team in college
4: basketball, but I don't know how true that is. I That yeah, sounds bit. about right. I did hear from a friend who was watching the UK game, they're like, Jimmy Dykes is openly rooting for Kentucky. I'm like, well, that's, that's what he does. <laughs> that's, that's who he is. That's, that's what goes on. I didn't watch any of the Kentucky LSU game, but I did see that they, they only won by three. It sounded like it was, they were in more control though than, than yeah. the final score. Went Another like. game we haven't
2: talked about is the New Mexico. I watched. It did
4: finally go down. I did watch. Um, you know, I'm not doing as much college basketball stuff anymore, but like, I, I, did a, I do a Bet daily podcast where I talk college basketball every other week now, but I'm not doing like the daily riding stuff. But mm-hmm. I still find myself, like, I can't, I can't get away. Like, I'm watching that game at 1 a.m by myself and I'm like On C B S Sports what? Network. On CBS Sports Network, <laughs> which is glitching every five seconds. It
2: was really bad on YouTube T V, but it was decent when it was I decent it on TV. On.
4: but still not 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 great. But I'm watching the end there and, and Fresno is able to pull it off and we now have no undefeated teams in college basketball. Richard Petino's Lobos were the last ones left at fourteen and 0 and they they, they they had their best reserve was out for the game and it really hurt him. But they I mean I love Richard. I think he's doing a great job there. They're they're not one of the best 25 teams in America. No. They're, they're not. They'll be – I hope they make the NCAA tournament, but I think even that's going to be uh, tough sledding for them. But Fresno, props to them. They got it done last night. No unbeatens. It's the earliest that we've had – the second earliest that we've had no beatens in a season in the last 20 years. 2018 was the only time that we had it before the calendar flipped to the next year. But this is still very early in a college basketball season to have zero unbeatens left. It
2: was actually the second year in a row that uh – an unranked Red team beat the number one ranked Purdue team.
4: Maybe Purdue, yeah, last year too. Yeah, that was look. You don't just walk into Mackey Fieldhouse unless you're the Mackey Arena. Arena, unless you're the <laughs> Rucker Scarlet Knights and come away with a victory. That's that's what they do. Texas is something that I'm curious about. Kenny said before the season that he expected some shot clock violations, and that would be a sign that they are doing things right. They're definitely getting shot clock violations, but it seems like we are we work a lot harder to get points than every team we play. It does. Yeah. I, I mean that's always been a sign of when you watch college basketball games and there's you know maybe the, the score is even and it's early in the second half but one team is very clearly having a much more difficult time getting their points than the other team. That's usually a sign that like you know how the last 18 minutes are going to play out. And it does feel like we have to like, like we're making tougher shots. We're not every team we play seems to get easy baskets out of their stuff against us. And I don't know if that's more about their system being great or just us not being as defensively aware as we need to but that's definitely been... Or the fact that the Louisville system out of a timeout is pretty much non-existent. It's not. And and also that like our system against straight man-to-man defense has still been difficult to decipher. I mean, we do a lot of the UK stuff, the you know, dribble handoff, just ball in the hands of your playmaker at guard, let him go make a play, all the old dribble drive concepts, like, and there's not a lot of flow to that, and it's mm-hmm we talked about this already. It's
3: it, it, it's hard for the casual basketball observer to really sit there and define what Louisville's system is.
4: It's hard for the extreme basketball observer <laughs> that is true. to sit there and define nice. what Louisville's <laughs> system really is. And I've heard that from a number of people. Texture says, is Trevor the athletic of A&M or something giving Jimbo Fisher Petrino while simultaneously making him give up – play. I don't, I don't know what this Texas. is. I'm not following. Probably, this.
2: yeah. Trevor is the athletic at Texas. Is Trevor A&M? the
4: athletic of A and M or something? Given yeah. Jimbo Fisher, Petrino. Yes. Trevor is the athletic of A <laughs> Sure.
2: <laughs> I don't know if Trevor and athletic have ever been mentioned just, in the same sentence. I wasn't gonna say it.
4: Trevor won't even pay for the athletic. He won't. He won't. He's, he has <laughs> athletics not in his vocabulary. Literally. Um, Texas says without seeing the bracket and if the tournament started tomorrow, who wins it all? Has there been a season more wide open than this year? I mean. W- I feel like we've said this a lot in recent years when we've gotten to like January and and even early February where it's, you know, the season's wide open. And then we always feel like there's some established clarity. Once you get to early March, some teams Mm -hmm. separate themselves from the pack. I think you'll probably see that happen this season as well. Like for instance, Kansas is just kind of lurking there. They're the team that I keep bringing up. Bill Self loves being, that like third or fourth best team. He, he doesn't like. He's he's never the biggest story. He's never the biggest rule breaker. But he's always like just you know third or fourth down just there. That's, there. That's where he thrived. Even when they win national titles like last year, they weren't seen as the best team in college basketball last season. The one year where they were seen as the best college basketball team was the COVID year, and who knows how that would have played out when they when they've been the number one overall seed. It's typically gone poorly. I e the the Northern Iowa loss in, mm-hmm. in in 2010. Like they their only loss this season was to Tennessee, who's the best defensive team in the country. They've been really good since then, let's say that they just rip through the Big 12 and have, I don't know, three losses when the NCAA tournament rolls around. We may be saying right now it looks like a wide-open season, but when the, the tournament rolls around, if they're the number one overall seed and they're the reigning national champions, everyone's going to say that they're the only great team or one of the only great teams. I think it'll it'll sort itself out. Like I still think UConn's really good. Um, I've got my eyes on Arizona. Their offense is the, bi- the Big 12 is again. wild. If the season
2: ended right now, I think, Ten, I think ten Big Twelve teams are top forty-five in the in the net.
4: I mean, TCU has not been as good as we thought they were. They're still really good. Baylor is. I think. Is I good think again.
2: all was good. I think if the season ended right now, like all ten teams in the Big Twelve would make the cha- would make the tournament,
4: which is it won't be how it plays out. Yeah, because they'll they got to play against out. each other. The, they'll they'll keep a couple outs. One of those teams is going to have to go like four and. And uh, they're going to have to play against, against each, and each other. Yeah. Play. And yeah. they won't let you know, they, but they may get eight in. They make it seven. in. They, they've been a good conference. I mean, I think. People don't want to hear it. I think UCLA is really good. Like, I think that they're going to wind up being very good. I'm with Matt on Arizona. I think that they're fantastic. Um, they were really good last year. They just they had a, ran into a, a bus in the Sweet 16. Um, I think UConn still is probably the best team in college basketball right now. They lost to a good Xavier team in a game where Dan Hurley lost his mind in the final minutes. And I love that the official afterward was like, "Yeah, he's got a reputation for a reason." We're not going to take like basically he said the quiet part out loud, basically like. Another coach who'd done this maybe wouldn't have gotten teed up, but we teed him up with two minutes to go in a tie game that had been very competitive. They had a full shot at winning, and it, did, it changed everything. That technical changed the whole game. But I still think they're very, very good. And you know, we'll see. Maybe, it, maybe we will say in two months that it's still a wide-open season. But if it ended today, if you're asking who I think wins it all, I think I'm going with Kansas. Pedigree. Texter says, uh, we'll take one more before we have to go to break. <laughs> COVID won't kill Mike, but an almond might. <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> He's about to have long almond. Cushion. Long long almond. <laughs> I can't get it out. It's lingering. It won't go away. Uh, Texas says Mike trying to compliment Trevor sounds like just like Bayheim trying to be complimentary of Louisville. It's not true.
3: At least Trevor doesn't go digging for gold.
4: That's right. Yeah, it was. It was like at a crucial moment too in the game. It was like the, mm-hmm. it was a like critical juncture. I think we were up by one or they were up by one. I'm like nervous. I'm standing up. I'm watching the game. And then all of a sudden, the the token Bayheim nose pick. Just I've never caught Trevor doing it, but. I haven't either. It probably happens though. I'm sure it has. I can see Trevor being a big nose picker in the car. Which is a thing for a lot of people. It's like you're in the car. <laughs> it's glass window. People can see you. Stop picking your nose. Uh 502-414-1450. We'll take some more texts coming up after the break. Uh, keep it locked right here on 1450 and 961. It's the
0: big X. Lucini from the sky, let's What? The cheeky quit. What? the and get lit. This is it. What? This is a hard time if your motion is still. Let me move some things around because the lyrics is ill. Abstract, you know my sticky D in here. Get on and swear it's the f yeah. But you're, your girl just moved to the joint in the club. And the
4: This is the one that's... This is 99. This is 99. Q-Tip. Vibrant thing. It's a good song. This is also kind of up Trevor's alley because it's a 99 song that sounds like a 94 song. Like, Q-Tip <laughs> was much, you know, kind of mid-90s, early 90s, as well as late 90s. So this is right in his wheelhouse. He wasn't going to do, like I don't know, like Corrupt wasn't going to be on Trevor's playlist here for yeah, the show. Know. I don't know who that is. That's what You weren't even born. I don't judge you for that. It's not your fault. It's like when we talk about uh, Master P. Like Jen's like, I think I've heard my dad talk about him. I'm like, well, we took a picture with Master P
2: at the kickball thing we and Trey did. He's great. God, I feel old. Master is the man. Pooh Sheisty has a song called Master P. Who? Who does?
4: Don't even worry about it. <laughs> 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 Thank you. <laughs> hey, we may have lost the Kentucky in men's basketball a couple of weeks ago, but I just saw that uh, wasn't Uf- a couple of weeks. defeated UK. 431 to 25 in the annual Gift of Life Challenge, a competition between the fan bases to see who can register the most people for the Kentucky Organ Donor Registry. Hmm. So look, Champions of Life, much more important than being champions of basketball. And we won by a mere 406. So suck it, UK. Still haven't lost. That counts as like two basketball wins. We're good to go. Three game winning streak. Uh, We probably covered too. We absolutely covered. Oh, yeah. there's no, We covered both times. Doesn't matter if it's uh, winning or losing. We're covering against Kentucky.
2: I bet they put that Oregon donor spread at like 380. I bet we covered it. <laughs>
4: Just <a> shocking dismantling. <laughs> when we win, we covered. And they, gave us, they gave us the tr- trophy on Rupp Arena's floor. Yeah, they did. I, you know, you get, I see UK kids holding their donate life sign. Embarrassed. Just 25. Get out of here. You guys don't care about life. You just care about that. We're focused on the right things over here, and that's why we win donor battles. And and women's basketball games. And women's basketball and baseball and everything besides basically men's basketball and football. Everything but the revenue sports. Everything but the revenue sports. We win because we care more about life. 502-404-414-1450. Textures want to know, if this question's come up a couple of times. Uh, People want Matt to talk about Kevin Coleman, who they view as a potential DeAndre Moore replacement. I know that name has been out there the last couple of days. What can you tell us about uh, about Kevin Coleman?
3: He's a, he was a slot receiver last year at Jackson State, true freshman. He ended up finishing with 475 receiving yards, three touchdowns. He ended the, the year on a really high note, had, a, if I remember correctly, seven receptions for 137 yards and a touchdown in the Celebration Bowl against NC Central he he he's pretty shifty. It took a little bit of time for him to get going in his first year, but again, this is football. It's not like basketball where a true freshman can be an impact right out of the gate. So, for him to be even remotely an impact in that jack in the Jackson State offense was it was a, a sign of great things to come out of him. So, I can only imagine what he in this Jeff Brom offense is going to be able to contribute to is my only concern up to this point is that it seems that at least as of now, it's trending that Jeff Brom's going to have a lot of smaller body receivers mm-hmm. and not really have like a the prototypical maybe Tyler Hudson type where he's a little bit bigger body of possession type receiver and maybe not so more focused on being playing inside or in the slot then again there's still plenty of time left in the offseason for them to get that but as of right now um, I I like where the staff is going and targeting receivers who are a bit shifty a bit speedier of of the smaller body type and a smaller body archetype just because you know
4: you can't coach speed no he sounds like the type of game breaker that we just did not have last season and that you know quite frankly you don't. You look at this roster right now, and you're not sure that you've got it right now. Yeah. Oh, and
3: he was the number 54 overall prospect in the class of 2020, so that's worth mentioning. And that's the
4: thing too is he's going from when you're talking about it, an up transfer from uh, the level of, of Jackson State, you're thinking you know a guy who's going to have to overachieve a little bit. And like no, this is the type of recruit that we would have been gushing over had he yeah. come here a couple of years ago. He just went to Jackson State because they were recruiting those types of players. When Deion Sanders was there. Yeah. And, and, and the he's thing, not a typical
3: swag transfer. He's not no. a typical swag transfer. And the, the thing with Coleman, had it not been for Travis Hunter and all the recruiting storylines and hoopla that came from there, a lot of that might have been trans, uh, transitioned to Coleman because, I mean, he was the second highest rated recruit that Deion ever got at Jackson State.
4: Jeez. And and that would be, I mean, people talking about trying to replace DeAndre Moore. Like, he's that type of caliber of player. Maybe not quite as big, maybe not as. You know the pedigree but the recruiting rankings very similar coming out of high school and he put up the numbers at jackson state that back up his ability would love to see him wind up here if that's at all possible would love to see that happen but i'm with you we do still need kind of that, that bigger bodied possession receiver on the outside okay
3: so i lied. for some reason i thought Jaden thompson was like 5'11 he's actually 6'2 187 so that's someone and he was third fiddle in cincinnati's offense so he he, he started he wasn't like the guy. I mean, that was Trey Tucker and Josh Wild, they t- their tight end. But I mean, if going back to the discussion about getting that bigger-bodied guy, he—I mean—he's not Calvin Johnson. I mean, mm. six-four receivers don't don't like come in another league all the time. But I mean, a guy who's six-two, just a few, a couple of Big Macs away from two hundred, yeah,
4: that could be that guy. Could be. I also saw William Foles is, is tearing it up at the Under Armour All American Game practice last week, like. I think that you you forget we lost Andre Moore. You still have three freshmen wide receivers in this recruiting class that are coming in, and I know Keith is a big fan of Kataris uh, Hicks. He thinks that he can see the field right away. But if you just hit on one of those guys, if they're better than you think, like that's going to help you out significantly next year as well. Like you you've you've got a lot of depth. You just need a couple of guys to really step up more than maybe they're projected to which yeah. is scary because it's the exact same thing that you said going into this season and you saw like a lot of times you just did not have that separation or that consistent game breaker to really open up the pass offense. Now Part of it was Molly Cunningham wasn't as good as we were hoping he was going to be throwing the ball this past year but some of that was he didn't have guys that were getting open consistently so yeah. we, we need some more game breakers out
3: there. But I think you feel a little bit better going into the next season because of Jeff Brom and his pedigree of developing sure. quarterbacks and his repertoire of the pass game whereas Satterfield more... I don't want to say like run centric, but run heavy in in his system in there. And maybe not. It doesn't, it didn't, it wasn't tailor-made for quarterbacks.
4: It was more so tailored towards the running backs. What do you think? Because we have not talked about this since, uh, since the, the news broke, but Jack Plummer coming from Cal, I think there's a whole lot of debate about, you know, could we have done better? I know he's a pocket passer. That's what Jeff has coached at Western and at Purdue and had success doing this. Is he the type of guy that can get you results? Certainly he knows the system. That's a big plus. But is Jack Plummer the guy that we need for this unique situation where you're basically looking for a a one-year stopgap quarterback who can hopefully win you seven, eight, nine games? See, I I think Plummer is more than
3: just a one-year stopgap while you wait for Pierce Clarkson to develop and wait in the wings. I think he gives Louisville a solid chance to be competitive in year one of the Jeff Braum era while he brings in all these new receivers and get this, implement this new passing game, this new offense, yada, yada, yada. I mean, is, is he a Devin Leary, a Grayson McCall, a Brendan Armstrong, a DJ LLA No. I mean, he, he's not one of the higher higher known quarterbacks in the transfer portal. But I mean, that's not to say he isn't serviceable. I mean, he was the number 22 passer in all of FBS during the regular season. I mean, is he going to win the Heisman Trophy now? I don't know. I'm just. I'm not trying to hype him up that much, but mark it
4: down, January fourth, twenty twenty three. Freezing cold. Take Matt McGavick. Jack Plummer will not win the Heisman Trophy.
3: Well, I'd love to be proven wrong <laughs> on that one, but he's 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 a better passer than a lot of people want to give him credit for. And even and it's not like the stats paint a bad picture. They paint a, a good picture. He threw for oh, I'm bringing him now, three thousand ninety five yards, twenty one touchdowns, nine picks. Started all twelve games. Completed sixty two percent of his passes. I mean that's good numbers right there. Now I know he played on a Cal team that went four and eight, but that's because their defense was bottom twenty in all of FBS. Like that was the reason they lost so many games. And the fact that he got sacked thirty three times, I believe, for the season. Yeah, it was a ton. It's like he, he had no time to really stand in the pocket, and and even even with that offensive line, he was still pr- like relatively effective. And and the stats kind of back up that whenever he does have the time to throw the ball. He's a really good, uh, he's a good pocket passer. I'm trying to pull up that stat now, cause I, I wrote about it. I think the day after he committed, like, just kind of, I watched him film, went through the advanced stats, and tried to break it down as best as I could. Yeah, this is what I wrote. Had Cal's offensive line been a lot better, there's reason to believe that he could have been one of the more prolific passers in the Pac-12, if not the FBS, according to PFF. On the 313 dropbacks where he was kept clean, which was roughly 63% of his total dropbacks. He completed seventy-one percent of his passes for two thousand two hundred fifty yards and eighteen touchdowns to only four picks. And on these dropbacks, he carried a PFF grade of ninety point two, which is very, very above average. So if he's kept even, if he has even a remotely better offensive line, he'll he'll deliver. He's a, he's he's a maybe not a gunslinger, but he he knows how to distribute the ball.
4: I I said this a couple of times. I watched a lot of the. Cal Notre Dame game for whatever reason because I, I think it was maybe morbid curiosity hoping Notre Dame was going to go winless I think this was when they were at least zero to two at this yeah. point and what you just said is exactly what I saw like he seemed like a kid who had a big arm but he also like he never got a chance to throw downfield because there wasn't enough time for those routes to develop and as the game went on you saw him just throwing to the short routes because he knew he wasn't going to have more than two and a half seconds after the snap came for him to get the ball out of his hands and I. I found myself wondering, you know, this kid looks like he could be pretty good if he had the right amount of time to throw downfield, but you never got a chance to see him do that. Uh, his highlights kind of bear that out. He does make several big-time throws down the field when he had time against – He has some great touch on his passes. He's like he, he looks like a good passer. Like, he looks like he can be a guy who can run this offense effectively. I'm not sure – I mean, we say all this – not knowing how it's going to work out we still have questions about our offensive line right now we still got yeah. some i think that's still a position where you need to go out and get a couple of guys to feel good about that unit going into right. next season yeah
3: you get brian hudson you have faith in michael gonzalez stepping in at left tackle um you have faith that um oh why am i blanking who the right tackle is right now i think it's boone no boone left regardless yeah. the, regardless you're bringing back your right tackle you kind of have questions about the the left and right guards you might and Louisville's still looking in the portal for you know an extra offensive lineman. Jeff Brom said at his early Sunday day press conference that they're looking at one, possibly two more uh, offensive linemen in the portal. So I, I would feel like it's not unreasonable to say they're going to upgrade in the offensive line at some point, but they still need to get it done. It's is it, is the offensive line going to be better than it was last year? I maybe. Uh, but I don't think they're they're due for a major step back because you you at least have some faith in the guys who you are in line to have for next season right now. Rich- and we, we hired a new O line coach, right? Yeah, the guy from Georgia Southern who yeah. who coached an offensive line that gave up only seven sacks in the entire season.
4: Ronald Brown, by the way, is the, the Brown. right Brown tackle we're forgetting there. But I mean Hudson, as much as Caleb Chandler was hyped going into the season. I would argue Brian Hudson was our best offensive lineman this past year. I thought he, he was, was terrific. And you get him back now at the most important position on that line outside of left tackle. And I think you feel good about the anchor of the offensive line, but you've still got some spots that need – you need depth. We're still lacking depth there. Um, we'll see something – Austin Collins was a guy who got some, some – you know, we'll see what he's capable of doing. But you need more bodies, especially experienced bodies, to really feel good about that offensive line. But assuming that you do get those pieces in place – and I think we're all assuming that the run game is going to be good once again. You feel good about Maurice Turner coming back and Jordan coming back. Like This should give Jack Plummer a chance to operate in, in an offense that is far more suited to his abilities than what he was dealing with at Cal. And I'm with you. Like I, I'm not saying that he's... I will he's not echo, going to win the Heisman Trophy. I will <laughs> echo your prediction that he's not going to win the Heisman Trophy. I'm not sure he's a guy who can win 10, 11, 12 games. But with Louisville's schedule next season and with what they are returning back and with Jeff Brom's system... I think that it's fair to feel like you know, Jeff should get you to a bowl game, should probably win seven games, maybe more in year one. I think that should be where the bar is, given what he has right now. I agree. Patrick, do you agree? Uh, Patrick wants an undefeated season. He's ready to run always. Jeff out of town. <laughs>
3: He's going to be the uh, next season's TCU.
4: Get Brom out of here, guy. That's, that's what they're saying. Uh,
3: yeah, I think if,
2: especially if we land Kevin Coleman, get him in the slot, have Jaden Thompson and D. Wiggins with some size on the outside. I think that passing attack could be really good.
4: Okay, I like that. I like with
3: Jawar jo- Jordan in the run game. And Amari Huggins-Bruce could be a breakout guy next year in this system.
4: He could be. I mean, I think we all kind of expected I'd like s- a little bit more from him this past year, but maybe it's just... I'd like to see what
2: D. Wiggins can do
4: with a full season healthy. I would too. I mean, he was... They were trying to make him the deep threat, and then It didn't just, work. Yeah, did, it didn't go great. He got open a few times, made a couple of plays downfield, but he was not the consistent... He might have threat. been able
3: to get it going had he not suffered a season in the injury, what was it, two, three games in season. I think it was third game. I think it was Florida State.
4: I believe yep. Patrick's correct. Um, that, maybe. Yeah, I, I think we were all kind of hoping that somebody was going to emerge, and it wound up just kind of being Hudson the entire season was really the only consistent threat. And you also lose Marshawn Ford now, which changes things up a little mm-hmm. bit because he's been... Your first or second leading receiver the last couple of years, and, and like, that'll be we still probably got to go get, get a tight end at some point. Yeah, still, still work to be done out there. Um, somebody earlier thought that you were Keith on the show hmm. and wanted you to talk about your beef with Nolan Smith, which, <laughs> yeah, Matt, can you talk about your beef with Nolan Smith, please? Don't bleep that guy, it is, <laughs> it, it's not Keith, but he says, Since it's not Keith, we need a hot take from Matt about who goes down in history. In Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer, we had that debate a few weeks ago about you know, the the poppy version when you were a kid of where you would like echo like you'd have words after the yeah. the real lines in Rudolph and when oh, they say yeah. you'll go down in history like who did you always say growing up? Oh God, it's been years. You, you should you should know this. I I should but damn,
3: I think it was like like Pinocchio or something like, like.
4: Pinocchio. I listen. I think there was somebody who actually said Pinocchio, but it's. The the main options are like Lincoln or like George Washington which is way too early. I I don't know why it was Pinocchio but I'm almost
3: certain trying to remember I've, back I'm almost
4: certain it was Pinocchio. For some reason I
3: remember like Pinocchio. I
4: kind of remember Pinocchio. I remember somebody saying Pinocchio when we were having Okay, so debate. I'm not
3: completely crazy.
4: I don't think so, which is a horror. I mean, we've got you got Lincoln, Washington and Pinocchio which are three options. It's a it's the star-studded cast. What a What a trio. What a Mount Rushmore. What a trio. Um, Texas, Mike. If you think UCLA is good, I can't trust a word you say. You're a clown with that take. God forbid, I think the number four team on Ken Palm is good. I think that they're, I think they're pretty good. They went to a Final Four two years ago, and they played Carolina tough in the Sweet Sixteen last year.
2: All right. I think if Trevor was here, he would say something about how you just listen to your computer and all your Ken
4: and all your Ken Pomeroy rankings. And... It's not like they're lowly ranked in any system, any in any rankings. They've lost twice this year. They beat Kentucky by ten. We just lost Kentucky by twenty-three. What are we talking about?
2: Oh, and then Trevor would. Uh... Well, Trevor I hates hate Mick Cronin. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where he'd go next.
4: Trevor doesn't care. Like he, was he like, he's like, talk to me when he does something in the NCAA tournament. I was like, he just went to a Final Four. He's like, it was a fluke. I'm like, well, he went back to Sweet 16 last year. He's, he's fine. He's, I think UCLA is good. Kill me. I think if I was making a quick Final Four right now, they'd probably be in it. Texas says, I would really prefer Ivy as the defensive coordinator, not Ron English. Is, Lucky for you, they haven't named Ron English as defensive coordinator. They haven't. They named, but they, they did the same thing with everybody that they've announced so far and saying <clears throat> defensive assistant, defensive assistant. I'm you, sh- uh, go ahead. I'm sure they're exploring all options, defensive coordinator-wise. That would be my guess. I think at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it's hard for me to foresee a situation where Jeff brings Ron English here. From where he was the defensive coordinator at Purdue. It he doesn't was, at least make him co-defensive. Yeah, I think it, he was only one, co-defensive but, at Purdue. Yeah,
3: not only one, but both the guys who were co-DC. It would be a little bit surprising to not see English or Hagen have a DC title. It's a little it's a little bit more conceivable that English will be the sole DC versus him splitting it with Hagen. but I would be a little bit surprised if it wasn't Ron English that would Same. be the DC. It, it seems like that's your
4: fit. I mean... Unless Nick Saban's going to coach the linebackers. I wouldn't hate it. If you're going to convince Ron English to make a move with you, I mean, he's been around the block a little bit, later stages of his career. He's not going to make that jump if he's not told that he's going to at least retain the same job that he had at Purdue at Louisville. And look, I, I know that there's, I think the fan base is understandably frustrated by the fact that we finally have a defense that started to play the way that we've wanted to see a defense play for the first time since like, the first half of the 2016 season, Mm -hmm. and now it's getting all blown up. And so, you know, Mark Ivey coached the defense in the bowl game, did a great job, and so we're all like, you know, let's let's hand him the reins. Maybe it's a little short-sighted. I mean, we're going to have a different system. I get that Purdue's defense wasn't tremendous, but let's see how this plays out. I mean, you can make an argument that the talent acquisition at Louisville is at a
3: higher degree than Purdue is, at least based on academic standards alone. So the potential there is probably greater, but I, I I can see where people are coming from when they ha- when they say they have
4: concerns about the defense taking a step back. People are clarifying too, like the reason why we're the the Pinocchio Washington link thing is the part where Pinocchio comes in is they like, used to laugh and call him names oh. like Pinocchio. That's where we're getting screwed up. The he'll go down in history like I think that part was not was where Wa- Pinocchio. I think came that in. part was Washington.
3: Now that I'm thinking about it, no, you know the wrong side. I'm th- <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> about it. Yeah.
2: And I, I don't think I ever said anything after history. No one goes down in history. Because you couldn't name a president. Who will go down in history. I think it just ended there. I think that was the end of the song.
4: Well, it, that is the end of the song, really. But there's the, the kids' version where it's, uh, you would no. even say, it glows like a light bulb. Like, that's that part where you just added stuff on there. And that's where it ends. And it was always, I always said Lincoln. Trevor agrees with me. Mary said like George Washington, which I wanted I don't think I ever to file divorce papers at that point. Yeah, no, I,
3: I'm I'm remembering
4: now it was George Washington. Thank you. Texas, whoa, now I'm mad at you, Mike. If Pinocchio gets a pass, then Elvis should work. Elvis <laughs> is slash was a real person. That was the other one that came up. That that's what I'm thinking of. That like person Elvis? texted in and was like, like Elvis, no. No, 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 no. So no. Washington, Lincoln, and Elvis. Slightly better company than Pinocchio, but that works. Texas says, um, I'm incredibly excited to see Maurice Turner play in Brom's system, especially if our past game develops into a, cons- a consistent threat that defenses have to play back on. I am too. I mean, you talk about getting excited about guys with speed. That dude is a burner. And I think whether it's traditional run game or catching passes out of the backfield, he's going to be a huge factor in whatever Jeff Brom able to accomplish these next couple of seasons. I think he's like, like, if you weren't excited before, you had to have gotten excited after watching him in Boston. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to fathom at least
3: halfway through the season that Jawar Jordan would end up being the leading rusher and not tie on Evans. Now, granted, we probably should have seen that Evans would probably have a little bit of a history with injuries considering he only played in, what, five or six games at Tennessee because of his ankle injury. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but I was pleasantly surprised to see that Jawar Jordan had finished with what was north of 800 yards. and a, like
4: that's, that's more so than what I thought he was going to finish, with. that's for sure. I like the, I mean, I still think we've, I'd I like to see us add a transfer at running back, whether it's somebody good or not, just to For at least for death purposes. For death.
3: Because we saw this season why you need death at that exactly. position. Exactly.
4: We had five guys on scholarship. All five had to play. You add the the, the, the kid from Purdue, Dewan, uh, was DeJuan... Keewan Brown. Keywon Brown, thank you, um, who had been committed to Purdue. I think they feel like he's... A fairly highly touted kid in a normal year, where we weren't having a historic success on the recruiting trail, we'd be very excited about having a running back of his caliber. But He's prolific. He's he put the video game numbers down at South Atlanta. I might think you ready to play right I think away. He plays like
2: lower class in Georgia. Was his oh, problem? I think that's uh, why did. he was well, why he wasn't quite as highly touted as his numbers would. Still excited. No, well, fair enough. He's super fast,
4: but would love to see. You've got three backs that kind of are the same, built for speed, smaller backs. Would love to see them add experienced Turner like bigger dude well, actually I want to interject
3: for a second because I, I broke down he Brown he's actually not that fast he ran like an 11.9 hundred yard dash or something like yeah. that um, okay. but I mean if I had to compare him to an NFL player he reminds me a lot of Doug Martin shifty great vision not a lot of of uh, of uh, speed but he makes up for his, for his ability to kind of weave through traffic and you know get through
4: the other end of the hole there it is. Matt McGavick says, uh, Kewan Brown will be Ma- uh, Doug Martin. He's Write gonna, it down. It's going to be Louisville's muscle hamster. Win the Heisman. That he's going to be the muscle hamster. <laughs> uh, Texas says, are our kids going to use Trump instead of Lincoln or Washington? I don't think it's changing. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Texas it was always George Washington for me. Texas, but also the NorthPole.com says Columbus, though I was a Washington kid. Like Columbus. I mean, it, it works, but. Yeah. Yeah can't do that a little anymore. bit problematic a little, a, little bit. Bit, a little bit these days the Texas, the dmx version after history just yells <laughs> <"What?"> <laughs> he's the best version of that song uh, we'll i love this christmas album we'll yeah. take we'll take our last break when we we'll come back be five o'clock hour like dmx like dmx he would be five o'clock hours on the way next we'll revisit some of our thoughts on the syracuse game last night take more of your texts at 502-414-1450 and a little bit more football talk as well with matt McGavick. it's the mike rutherford show it rolls on next here on the big x
0: for real for and give it what you got And just, uh, breathe and stop For real, and give it what you got And give it what you got And give it what you got And give it on the block And give it what you got I thought the thrill you would it, uh, it, it, I mean it's an I say a, I wanna feel you the big guy the one on the flam Boy, your temper just toss that ham In the frying pan, I spam, get done When I come and slam Damn, I feel like the son of Sam so I like
4: Final hour here I of to the maintain. Wednesday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Matt McGavick from Louisville Report with me in studio. Follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore McGavick. Pa- Intern Patrick, also here on the ones and the twos. I we were talking right before the break about Kevin Coleman. I had not seen that at four hundred one. He tweeted he's in town, like officially yeah. he's landed. He did the whole thing where it's like the you've landed where Cardinals fly, mm-hmm. which again, shout out to Muhammad Ali International Airport for hooking us up because it's a great hey I'm in town type thing to put on your Instagram story or on social media. They know how to brand it. He's officially here. That's a big time visit for us. It would be a big time get if we're able to land him at wide receiver. Uh, we want to hear from you this final hour five hundred two four one four fourteen fifty. We talked a lot in the first hour about the Syracuse game last night, which. Breaking news, cards lost by one. But signs of improvement, certainly. Uh, what does it mean, big picture? What doesn't it mean, big picture? Got into all that good stuff. The Kenny Payne debate. Are we ever going to be able to have a basketball conversation? Because we've got two full months of this left. Mm. Are we ever going to be able to have a basketball conversation that doesn't devolve into, is Kenny Payne the right guy? How many games does he need to win so he won't get fired? It's gotta reach
3: double digits at this point, which I don't see happening. Uh, Considering there's only two games left on the schedule, that Ken Palm has them as
4: a favorite by more than thirty percent. I mean, this time last year, every single game, and we thought it was awful. This time last year, and every single game, even when we won, was can you get? Is Chris Mack going to be the coach next year? Will he quit? Do you have to fire him? Who would we possibly get? Like this is what it, it, it boiled down to. And we thought this was as bad as it could possibly get. And now it's, it, it's still. like We're talking about the, the team getting better. We're talking about things that are, are improving. We're talking about things that are staying stagnant or getting worse. And it always just ends up devolving into it doesn't matter. This guy sucks. Or these players suck. KP's going to get them right. we got to get some recruit It's the same discussion every single day, which we already had in the first hour. But, again, a game that Louisville played hard enough and I think for the most part well enough in to deserve to win, which is not something you could have said against any of their other power conference opponents so far this season. It's uh, just
3: bewildering to, to hear the stat that Louisville's only won five of their last 23 games.
4: 33. 33. Oh yeah. I miscounted. Unbelievable. I mean, it makes it work. I mean, I, I, when you write it out, when you say some of these things and I, I fall into this trap all the time, it's one thing to look at some of these numbers and it's another thing to see it play on the court. But then, and when you talk about it too, like like you say these things and like, you hear them like, especially when you're trying to like talk about positive things and it just, it reinforces that you're in the spot that you never, ever, ever thought you were going to be in, which is like, I never thought I'd follow a Louisville team, even if they were under the death penalty, even if they were, weren't allowed to play on TV even if they weren't allowed to give scholarships, that was two and 13, but at least they're not losing the way that they were losing a month ago, which case in point, that's one of those things that you say out loud and you're like, how does that, that play? <laughs> Again, this is lawful basketball, as I, you would say. Exactly. But you have to say, and, and I say this earnestly, I, I mean this really and truly. If you're looking for reasons to be optimistic about Kenny Payne long term, if you're looking for reasons, if you're looking for a want to buy it to this guy, the fact that the kids are, are very clearly still bought into what he's preaching is not nothing. Like, like, right. it, it is something. Especially when you take into account how dysfunctional things were a year ago. We could not go a game last season, even when we won, without hearing that like this guy got into a fight with this guy, and this guy yelled something at Mike Magee, and and Pegues yelled something at this guy, and this guy's not going to play next game because he's suspended. It was every single day something new like that was coming out. Yeah. You haven't heard any of that this season. You haven't. You don't have players throwing out passive aggressive tweets. You don't have players liking things that are like, critical of Kenny Payne. You don't have players making comments in the post game about him losing the team. Like, he has kept this team together, which, again, is not nothing.
3: Yeah, and, and you can't discount the fact that last night they played like they actually wanted to be there for the first time in, what, three weeks since the Western Kentucky game. They did. Now they have to string that together, and when they face Wake Forest, they can't just lay an egg like they kind of did following up the Western Kentucky game with that performance against Florida A&M. But, again it's a step in the right direction and they have to keep making these baby steps. But again, like you said, when you discuss these things out loud, like it's, it's wild that we're halfway through the season and we're only just now saying like, Hey, they
4: fought hard. I know it's, if you're trying to prescribe to the belief that Kenny Payne took over this fractured program, these kids that that were, were broken by, you know, what happened and, and all that stuff. Like, I guess you can buy it more because I've kind of I've rolled my eyes at that to an extent. I think I think it's been overblown to a point. But if they keep on the trajectory that they're on right now, where they're they're fighting more as the season goes on, they're executing more as the season goes on. And let's say that they do what we don't think they're going to do right now, which is get to like I don't, six wins in ACC play. They win, if they went if this team went six and fourteen in conference play, especially after starting zero and four, it would be a minor miracle given what yeah. we saw from them for the first month and a half. If that happens, then I think it's easier to sell. Hey, there were problems here that were worse than you'd even heard, worse than you could have possibly imagined. Because you would see the progress. You would see them start to play hard. You would see that, you know, what Kenny Payne was saying at the beginning of the season, which is, I can't get them to buy into me. I can't get them to play hard because they don't trust me yet. They want to see me, they want to know that I'm not going to quit on them when things get tough and we're going to love them up and all that stuff. You would see that that kind of was the case. And I think that would give you more hope going into year two and beyond. But that's got to happen. Like, like, that would be—we've been talking about this for a month and a half. You've got to give the fan base something to point to and say, this is why I have hope. Outside of just, I trust this man because he recruited everywhere he went. Right now, the record is what it is. The recruiting is what it is. Yeah. There, there needs to be tangible
3: evidence of improvement and not anecdotal evidence.
4: Exactly. And I think that, look, finishing 8-23— and 23, it would still be the worst season in any of our lifetimes, but for it to go from where it was in mid-November, early December to a team that's capable of winning six games in this conference, which is admittedly not the strongest we've seen in the ACC, would still be something that you could point to and say, look, like he improved this much as the season went along. He got the players to trust him. He got the players to believe in him. We're going to get some new guys now. He's got to kill it in the transfer portal still. But when that happens, we can be NCAA tournament good in year two, which is all yeah. – look – that's where the bar is for me. I'm not changing the bar because we've been historically bad this year. Everybody, when this man got hired, said we had varying expectations for, for year one, but everybody said it's Louisville. Year two, you need to be NCAA tournament good. That should not change just because we may win four or five games this season. I, I'm not yeah. going to, to, to budge on that. I know we didn't get the 2023 20, players that we were hoping to get. They're still not. When you see other programs doing it, other programs going out, overhauling their roster and bringing in, a bunch of mid low up transfers who somehow become a cohesive unit and play like I mean, Missouri is the perfect example. Yeah.
3: Missouri, LSU. There have been multiple examples of, of coaches in year one who were, had had to endure a complete roster overhaul. now it, it's the first half of the season. We'll see how they do in the second half, but through the first couple of months, seem to be doing really well. Yeah. and it seems like Kenny Payne is the outlier to
4: all this so far. You can be NCAA tournament good in year two if you've got the goods as a coach. If you are the type of coach who, when that talent does start coming in, when you're fully out from underneath whatever cloud has been hanging over the program for the last five to seven years, when all that stuff, when you are operating (coughs) all cylinders firing, if you are the type of guy who can be national title good in that circumstance, you should be the guy who's NCAA tournament good under the circumstances that are going to be present in year two. I, I. I'm not budging from that. Like I, I'm not. Like I'm willing to. I I know I said all summer. Like I'm glossing over year one to an extent. I don't think we can judge him too harshly just because the roster is not going to look the way it should moving forward. And we didn't know until two weeks before
3: the season what the
4: NCAA was going to do. Sure, I didn't think it would be this bad. Admittedly, like I I thought it was going to be worse than than some people did. I didn't think like nobody was predicting two and thirteen. I think that changes things a little bit when, it's, you know, when, when you hit a low that's way lower than you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to be like, like I, I said I was going to be patient. I said I wasn't going to, to flip out. But man, like I, I didn't think we would be dealing with this. I can budge on that a little bit if you're showing me stuff off the court that gives me reason or, or on the court in the second half of the season mm-hmm. that gives me reason for hope moving forward. I'm not budging on you should be NCAA tournament good in year two. There's no In this day and age with immediately eligible transfers, with NIL stuff that's out there, If you are a national title caliber coach, you should not miss the NCAA tournament in your first two seasons at a place like Louisville.
3: Yeah, and in in college basketball, you can flip a program in one year. It's
4: it's been done. It's happening right now. Yeah. Not here, but it's happening. (laughs) It's happening other places. Uh, Last night's game, again, if you're looking at the good, I wonder if the lineup that we saw last night start the game, and I was wrong at the beginning. I was thinking that Sidney Curry did not start. I knew Jalen Withers didn't start, but Curry did start, but you still went with the smaller unit of Ellis James, Huntley Hatfield, and uh, and Kamari Lands. I wonder if that's just a Syracuse thing. They thought that was the matchup that that was or if we see more of this moving forward, because it wasn't a lineup that was just good against Syracuse. That was your best lineup against Kentucky. That was the lineup that got you back into that game after you'd started off down eighteen to four. I I wouldn't hate seeing that lineup with maybe Withers at the four and Huntley Hatfield move down to the five. I know that's <laughs> not his his natural spot, but yeah. he plays pretty well there and Curry, as we've talked about throughout the show, he's, he's kind of a detriment last night. He's you're still you're not getting consistent play from him. Granted, you're not really getting it from Withers right now either. But I would like to see that that smaller lineup with James, Lance, and Ellis all playing together at the same time. I'd like to see if that can work more in the second half.
3: I do too. And 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 I, I know Curry has performed better in the last few weeks, but Until his defense gets better, I don't know if you can continue to start him. And and it it sucks to say that because he he is playing much better than he was the first month and a half of the season. But, I mean, if all it takes is for a team to just continuously attack him in the pick roll situations, how can you keep giving him major minutes? Now, I'm not saying don't play him at all because he does give you something. But if if there are situations where you
4: need defensive stops, how can you play him? Like, serious question. You can't. And this was happening – we all kind of glossed over it because the season was was dead at that point and we looking we were looking for any bright spot. We all kind of glossed over it last year when he was putting up big offensive numbers, but he was he was very bad defensively for that team last year. I mean, when we yeah. were when we were, you know, losing to Wake Forest by 20 and he was scoring 28 on, you know, whatever it was, 14 of 17 shooting. Part of the reason why we were down by so much was because they were going right at him on defense. Right. Like that was something that we hoped would improve over the offseason, especially when we brought in both Payne and Danny Manning, who have a history of you know, working with big men and, or being big men. Big men whisperers. Big men whisperers. That's a, got said a lot this summer. And the defense has not gotten better at all no. from from his end. The offense has been fluctuating. He has gotten more aggressive on the boards recently. But if he's if he doesn't know how to successfully defend a high pick and roll Right now, this, you he can't play in big minutes, and he only played no. 19 minutes last night. But like that's but they were
3: impactful because Syracuse attacked
4: him every time. Exactly, and that it was an issue. It's part of the reason why we also got into foul trouble. But I'd like to see, not just because I think the lineup it, it plays better together, and I'm curious to see how it can be long term. But if we are looking big picture, and let's admit it, you, you, you're not giving up on a team. You we're going to cheer for the team for the rest of the season. But it's a two and 13 team right now. They're, they're not going to the NCAA tournament, barring a miracle five wins in five days in Greensboro. Is that where the
3: AC tournament is this year? I think, it's in Gre- I think it's in Greensboro. Wherever it is. I'm pretty sure it's in Greensboro Coliseum, but I could be wrong.
4: If we make it past Tuesday, that'll be enough. It, we're, we're probably not making it to Saturday. With that being the case... It could happen. It could happen. Flop those wings. You're looking for the best interest of the program long-term at this point. Yes. Mike James and Kamari Lands both figure into those plans. Th- those are guys that both Absolutely. have three full years of eligibility remaining after the season. They're both, uh, you know, James is a redshirt freshman, Lance is a true freshman.
3: And if you can bring in a couple of point guards, maybe even entertain bringing back L. Ellis for that last year that he has.
4: There's a lot of questions about that, too, uh, as far as th- the rumor that's out there is that L. does not plan on using the last year of eligibility. I've got no idea if that's true. That was like, I don't either. That was also the rumor with Malik Cunningham two years ago when people were, that was getting bandied about, Like, I had heard coming into the, the season that he was fully planning on staying. Like, like he, well, He's he got two years. He's excited to use both these years. Uh, wants to play for Kenny Payne. And maybe he just hasn't even thought about it. But if you get him back, like say what you will about the turnovers, if you get him a solid backcourt mate, I think L. Ellis can be. We've seen he evidence. Can be, he he can, can be an all-ACC guy. He can be a very good ACC guard in the right system. And if you don't ask him to do all the things that we are – out of necessity, asking him to do right now. I would love to have him back for another year. I think you need to get Kamari Lance's experience. I think Mike James has shown you glimpses that he can be a very capable college player. I think
2: Ellis is the best three-point shooter on the team.
3: That Thanks. doesn't make
4: me feel great, Patrick, but you're, you're probably right. <laughs> I mean, by, per, per, by percentage-wise, probably. God, he probably is. And he's not, like, that's not, he's a streaky shooter. Like, that, that's what he is. When he's If he's made two in a row, and he's got it going, I'm very confident in L taking an outside shot from basically any spot on the floor. Mm-hmm. When he doesn't, I'm not very confident in L taking a wide-open shot with nobody within 10 feet of him. Like That's just that's the way he is. He's not a naturally elite shooter, but I'm not sure there is one of those players on this team, which is part of the problem. Well, hell, Devin Reed was supposed to be. We'll never know, I guess, yeah. uh, at this point. <laughs> Actually, technically the best shooter by
3: percentage on this team is Jalen Withers at uh, 37 and a half.
4: That actually doesn't surprise me. He shot it well. He, I mean, he was in the 40s, I know, for the first part of the season. Mm-hmm. So that's not... I mean, it, And he had that heat check three from NBA range in that 17-2 run. That he, was insane. He did. It's not a team loaded with great shooters, which is an, another thing that has to be addressed in the, the transfer portal this offseason. You've got to find a couple of knockdown guys. Well, right when they outside. get hot, they get hot. They do. It, it's a bunch of streaky shooters. I, I think yeah. J.J. Trainer is not a... I mean, his percentages are good because he takes good shots, but he's not a... You can look at the form. He's not a natural, natural mm-hmm. shooter. That's got to get improved. But my point is, let L, Mike, and Kamari just play monster minutes from this point forward. Those are guys that you're going to need moving forward. You're going to need them to, to. If James and Lands develop into all-conference caliber players a couple of years from now, you could be in pretty good shape. Like that's one path to being back to nationally relevant in the next couple of years, which is what the goal has become. Uh, 502, 414, 1450 is the Thornton sex line. We'll take some thoughts, uh, from you guys in this remaining hour. Um, before we do though, we're shifting back to, to football really quickly. I know we talked about offensive line. I know we talked about maybe wanting to add one wide receiver defensively quick thoughts with Matt McGavick about the way that Jeff Brom has addressed the holes on that side of the ball so far, because I think he's gotten secondary looks good. Got a couple of linebackers. Defensive line, you're bringing back more there than you are the other units. But what do you, how do you feel about the job that that Braum and company have done so far in meeting the needs on the defensive side of the ball? I think they've done
3: done a great job in terms of just building depth, especially on the defensive line. I think between uh, the D tackle spots and defensive end, they've got what is it? Yeah, they've got 16 defensive tackles and defensive ends like in scholarship players. So the, the depth is definitely there. And they've, they brought in a couple quality guys. I think Stephen Heron's going to start at their, what we assume is going to be the Leo in a four two five scheme. five um, scheme. We assume that Jermaine LeLay is coming back. I mean, when mm-hmm. he's fully healthy, he has NFL potential. Destel looked good in spurts. And then you talk about the, the additions like at night green landing him in a normal cycle for Louis, for Louisville would be huge. Just being able to retain his commitment. Like he's that good. I think out of all the freshmen, uh, he has one of the higher potentials to be able to see meaningful minutes, um, not meaningful minutes, meaningful playing time um, in his true freshman season. Then at linebacker, being able to get Ben Perry to return was huge. Losing Dorian Jones, well, I mean, that that yeah. kind of sucks because I, I thought he was going to be a starter. Getting Monty to come back, also huge. Because in terms of production, he was huge this past season, cause, especially in a system that relies a lot on, on the linebackers to make plays. It, it's going to be interesting considering – in English's 4 2 a lot of the production in terms of sacks and tackles for loss comes from the defensive linemen, and the linebackers kind of just come clean up behind them in terms of just getting tackles and just racking up pure tackle numbers, whereas the defensive linemen are the ones who actually create the havoc plays. And the thing with this system is that not only that, but on the back end, it relies a lot on defensive backs, I and mean, you've got five of them on the field make, getting a lot of, of interceptions, I think. Off the top of my head, they either had 13 or 14 interceptions last year. And losing Keetra Clark hurts. That's no bones about that. But getting Mar- uh, Marcus Groves he's I think he's got a high ceiling. Aaron Williams, no, we don't know what his status is going to be for this season considering he has a torn ACL yeah. and is continuing to play <laughs> was, on it.
4: Was basically just playing with it.
3: That, that's, that's insane. Miles my, Slusher coming in he can play both safety and cornerback Devin Neal played meaningful minutes was the starter for Baylor then you bring back MJ Griffin who played phenomenal in the second half of season you bring back Josh Minkins you've got service not serviceable that's the wrong word you've got proven commodities returning in the secondary on top of a handful of of transfer additions that you think could be able to contribute in a meaningful way so they've done a phenomenal job on, on adding through the transfer report on the defensive side of the ball. And I and I know people have concerns about the scheme and how they perform, which, again, I get that. Th- those concerns are validated. But given the talent coming back, I, I think that defense sh- should be more than serviceable next year. Now, granted, they do have to address a couple needs. I think they need to uh, probably get one or two more defensive backs, pr- probably add another linebacker in the mix, maybe one who could contend for a starting position. But
4: they're looking good on defense it's the offensive where they probably need to address more in the transfer portal at this point. You brought up Aaron Williams, the, the four-star cornerback out of St. John Bosco. I love that he's at the, uh, the All-American Bowl at the Alamo Dome, and he was asked about you know, keeping his commitment to Louisville with Jeff Braum, and he said it meant a lot to him that Braum went to their state championship game, saw him get the interception uh, in that, that title game. But I like this quote. He was, he was asked about what was the biggest reason why you kept your commitment to UofL even after the coaching change? What about Brom? made you still stay locked in and he said he's a great great person you know he talked basically about him at purdue and that they can't get the recruits that they can get now and he had success purdue even without those players i'm excited to see what he can do at louisville i hope he can turn it all the way up which i liked Love it. turn it up turn it up uh he then he got asked about you know he he's not coming here till may he does have the injury but do you see yourself as as somebody who can Get on the field immediately, and he said, "My mindset's always to come in and take whoever spots it, is in front of me." Which is that's great. what you want. What you, you want? Out of a fresh you fresh. want a killer mindset. I, I'm excited about Aaron Williams. I think there's a lot of people. I've seen like the you know we talk about like the wise guy horse on Derby Week, the, the horse is maybe <laughs> like you know, not the, not the best odds, not the the, the favorite, but maybe that fourth or fifth horse. He's kind of the wise guy pick from recruiting experts to be the best player that comes out of this class. I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that believe uh, he's the guy who can be. Have like a Jair Alexander type impact where yeah. you know he comes in and there's more attention on the quarterback or more attention on the wide receivers or more attention on whatever and he winds up being the best NFL player long term and he's awfully good. Um,
3: yeah, he, he's really good. I mean, he he doesn't have the same skill set as Jair because Jair is more so based on like man to man, like just sticky type coverage, whereas Aaron Williams is is the type of cornerback who I think you can just best describe as a nuisance. Like, he's a, he's a physical presence. He's jamming you at the line. He's getting your, your route and timing disrupted. Like, no matter what you're running and what your role is, if he's matched up against you, he's going to make sure that whatever your job is... <laughs> You're, you're not going to perform it very well.
4: Like It sucks that we lost DeAndre Moore, for sure. Like I, I think Yeah, there's no bones about that, because I really thought that he could contribute year one. He could, and he's. I, I don't know if he'll get that opportunity at Texas, but he would have Horns down. seen the field. Horns down forever. Um, Thank you, Patrick. Patrick's doing it. This is why we need the YouTube cameras. But <laughs> the fact that Brom was able to retain three out of the four Bosco kids yes. is still a huge deal. And, and I know Pierce Clarkson's going to be the focal point for some time, but Williams and McLean is staying true. It's a huge deal not just because I think they can all be big time college players, but because you yeah. retain that pipeline. We talked about Clarkson's influence across the country and how much of a wave it made when he announced his commitment to U of L. That presence doesn't go away just because he's no longer playing high school football out there. Like like Louisville will remain a presence on the West Coast because Braum was able to lock in these kids. And especially if you know Williams or McLean or Pierce get on the field and make something happen in the freshman year, it's only going to enhance, I think, your profile on the West Coast. So that was a no small thing that he went out there, went to that state title game, and was able to sign three of those four kids.
3: Not only that, but he appears hell-bent on not only keeping but strengthening that pipeline to South Florida. I mean, being able to retain Sanquan Clark, I think yeah. we're talking about the linebacker position and who could like compete for starting reps. Obviously, it's probably going to be Ben Perry and Money, But Sanquan Clark, he's that good to where he could be like
4: the primary backup by the end of the season. He He's insane. I'm that high on him. And keeping him away from Miami when it sounded like Miami was yes. pulling out all the stops in the 11th hour was... I mean, John Ruiz has money to blow. <laughs> we found that out firsthand. Yeah. Uh, Texas says, McGavick with the knowledge. Can we get him on the show more? Look at that. People people are really liking yeah. it.
3: Maybe weird I'll listening- make an appearance on Friday. You never know. To be determined.
4: Yeah, TBD. Texas says, it's weird listening to a coherent sports conversation <laughs> and-, and a little about Arby's and farts. Well, every now and then you got to mix it up. Texas said, I'm seriously impressed by Matt's intel and data recall. Thanks for all the, doing all the heavy lifting on Cardinal Sports. You are, like, that, that, when you said, like, I'm doing this off the top of my head and you just, like, reeled off uh, some of the stats there. Hell, when, when
3: impressive. You, when, you, when you stare at these stats for as long as I do, trying to, like, do all the proper research for all the pieces to do, you sometimes can't help but retain them
4: accidentally. <laughs> I remember doing it for, like, you know, back in the day when I was, doing more writing stuff like college basketball stuff like you, you do like radio shows and people are like how do you have this one like, because i just i wrote it like you know, yeah. 30 minutes ago it's the stats stick with you a little bit but it is impressive um i tell you what let's take a break when we come back 502 if you've got thoughts for matt or, or anything else on your mind get it out now because we've got one segment left happy wednesday to you get over that hump first week of the year we're all struggling a little bit we're doing fine <laughs> you're doing great uh, and you know who's doing really well our guys over at First Bankers Trust. If you want to do better in 2023, hook up with our friends over at First Bankers Trust. Visit them online at firstbankerstrust.com and find out about all the ways that they can help you with your financial needs. They offer a wide range of services, including investment management, trust and estate services, philanthropic services, and financial planning, making money, keeping money, making more money, winning ACC games, getting recruits locked in, keeping them locked in. It all starts with one word. That word is trust. First Bankers Trust. FirstBakersTrust.com. We'll be right back with the final segment of the show here on 1450 The Big X.
0: Amém.
4: no forever Welcome back in Final segment here The Wednesday edition Of the Mike Rutherford Show On 1450 and 96.1 The Big X Matt McGavick of Louisville Report In studio today Intern Patrick dropping What you? What did you just drop? The mouse <laughs> You remember that one time Trevor <laughs> spiked the mouse? Well, what, why did he spike the mouse again? I don't
2: know It's we, we, it like we couldn't get on the air And the mouse was like Moving slow or
4: laggy And he just This stupid thing just Spikes it It's rare that he gets that upset Especially you, when he's in studio Yeah usually he just kind of Keeps it He's just like curse words, but he remains very he's calm. Kinda like, oh, uh, he's kind of got his Eeyore thing this going on. This bleeping thing. But, like, yeah, he, he's there have been a couple of times, a handful of times, where he's gotten legitimately throw something mad, which has been great. I've enjoyed it. And it, we need the YouTube cameras. It's going to happen. 502 414 1450 is the Thornton's text line. We will uh, take some text here in the final segment of the show. <sighs> As I look at the first text that I cannot read, <laughs> that's. Uh, Texas says, it's really amazing how much the mighty have fallen. Louisville and Syracuse went from top 10 teams and headlining MSG 10 years ago to playing a meaningless game on ESPN News. It was, I mean, it was bad. And the last, the, the only thing that most of the college basketball world saw from last night's game was the final 10 seconds, which generated a ton of content for a lot of people that just, oh, yeah. just had some fun with it. But it is, as bad as we've been this year, it does bear mentioning Syracuse has not, they're not very good either. And they've not been yeah. themselves in recent years. I think there's a ton of thought that, you know, Jim Beheim, it's it's kind of over uh, you know, for all the bad losses we took earlier in the season. Syracuse The game has finally passed him by. And it has, it has for a while. They, they had, they just had a couple of fluky runs in the NCAA tournament that I think masked that fact that he is, they have not been what they should be basically since that 2013 season where yep. they were in the final four. They were really good that year. And we were the national title uh, champions, but, Syracuse is a – they lost to Bryant. They lost to Colgate. They got hammered by Illinois. who's I'd say they lost to Pittsburgh, but apparently Pittsburgh is actually kind of good. God, career won't shut up. I mean, he's like, he's like, we may be the best team in the country. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> Taking all this Jeff Cable slander back from over the years. It, it's, it's a – certainly not, neither program is where they expect to be, and I think both are hoping that they will get back there soon. Texas says, the baseball team started playing yet. I'm hearing we're supposed to be quite awesome this year. They have not
3: started playing it, but they've already they are a consensus top team as of right now. I say consensus like there hasn't only been two, two polls right? <laughs> come out, but hey, consensus. College baseball starts early though. We it's, should start February pretty soon. Yeah, February
2: like
4: midway through February. Consensus top seven, number seven in the perfect game, <laughs> and then what number six was a collegiate baseball. Yeah, uh, a couple a couple few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean it's it's a season that's going to have we're back to having the type of preseason hype that we've grown accustomed to under Dan McDonald. And that's because of the overachieving season that happened last year. I mean, we're back to let's let's be real, like we're back to thinking it's kind of Omaha or bust, which is yeah. a high bar. It's the highest bar to set outside of national title or bust, but that's that's where we are. Texas, Medi- also,
2: this phone just rang, and I answered it, and it like feels like if somebody called, the, if I wanted to put on the guy trying to sell solar panels from Frankfurt, like I could have put him on the air.
4: Who was that? Was was that a guy? selling solar, solar panels? panels? He was looking. He was looking for Betty. We get calls from other people's offices in here, and we don't know how, and we don't know why. Like this is—I
2: <laughs> don't know. I answered it,
4: the, but when we give out the actual phone number that's supposed to work, it doesn't work. I don't—I don't know how anything works here. Clearly, and I don't think anybody else does either. It's part of the problem. Until sure. it's telephone week. Until well, yeah, their stuff works. Our stuff just does not work. Texas says Matt's great with stats and facts, but what does he think about the impact of bringing Brom home? The momentum feels unprecedented at this point and should contribute to the outcome of a couple of games, in my opinion. Thanks, guys. Awesome show. That has to be the that has to Shout be out, Bring Brom home, home Guy. That has to
2: be, like, that just sounds like texted? him. Well, then we have his number. I don't know, but that sounds like him. Does it not? Maybe the this is how we finally unmask
3: Bring Brom Home Guy. This is him.
2: Awesome show. Thanks, guys. That just sounds like such a Bring Brom Home Guy
4: <laughs> text. Well, he did say, he also said earlier that he wants Matt on the show more. He tweeted I mean, something uh, like
2: that. Bring Rum Home Guy tweeted something like I that. I don't disagree with him. He also <laughs> said,
4: McGavick is very well spoken on terrestrial radio. New career, 790 slot. Maybe.
3: You never know.
4: We did get a text uh, now that Nick Coffey is on the uh, making the move to three, which I let him know on Instagram today when he made the announcement officially that I would have to start slandering him on the show now. Um, but he says, Mike, uh, who do I listen to now that you and Nick Coffey are at the same time? Can you all play one-on-one to settle this for me? Thanks. Coffee's a baller. Coffee would would take me a one on one. Oh yeah,
2: I'd take him though. I don't think you would. I uh, so would. You just back him down. I. You're taller than him. I don't. I don't care. I would. I mean, Coffee was all region. I have he, like a he foot, foot on him. sixth region
4: player of the year, Patrick. I have like a foot on him. Well, <laughs> might might work a little bit. Might be shocked. You might be surprised. No. Nick's awesome. I I love him. I'm happy that he's uh, making a move. I mean, I'm happy that he gets to sleep in now. I can't imagine. I would love that. There's there's a give and a take to morning versus afternoons for sure. There was a brief period where we thought that we were going to be doing a morning show way back in the day. And as much as it sucks, I'm still, even with kids now, more of a night owl than I am an early riser. But there's something to be said for, like, having the rest of your day cleared at 10 a.m. Like, that would be a good feeling. I, I didn't get to pick up the kids from school. You could maybe go home, take a nap, then get to work for the rest of the day. But... I I enjoy the afternoon, I enjoy the vibe, but I'm sure Nick is, is is happy to be making the move. Now we have, you know, 75 afternoon shows in a market that is not the biggest in the world.
2: Co- Coffee, his schedule couldn't have been fun cuz he's waking up that early and then he also had the Colin show post games.
4: Yeah. Yeah, they were Oh, that sounds They cool. were asking a lot from Nick. And they they still are. He's he's awesome. Love Nick. Uh, happy to have him in the afternoon contingent. We we now have like literally three Louisville shows in the afternoon slot and then what? Like two during the the morning slots, because they're moving. What KSR is going now to? Are they doing seven? To, I, I this is how little I I keep up with it. Are they doing seven to ten now? On, I have no idea. <laughs> what <are> the, wrong, <laughs> the radio people are the wrong people to be talking about this. Apparently, but I mean I, I
2: can tell you the Big X schedule all day. That's about it. Well, I know the Big X schedule. I know, but that's KSR seven
4: nine repeating from nine to eleven. <laughs> Who's your report with Matt Dennison? Spears on Sports, Mike Rutherford show. Yeah. Well, I don't know what we have before me now, but it's maybe it's we to like, have the Matt McAvoy show. It's Yahoo National. Okay. If Matt McGaffick wants to go one day, nice, I don't know it's if he's he nice stopping to it. us. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Texas, my dog continues to wake up from a dead sleep once a day at this dang Roosters commercial. It's not fun or casual.
0: LOL. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> we can't help it. Oh, it's fun and casual. It's fun and casual. I'm about to play it right now. I'm
4: kidding. <laughs> it's from Portland. I thought that was the one that wakes up dogs. Oh, no. Okay. Yep. Texas, if you could pick the top transfer wide receiver weapons for Brahm next year, which three would you pick? That's a loaded question
2: talking about, like, that you can go ahead and get right now, or are you talking about, like, Jaden Thompson,
4: Jimmy Calloway, Kevin Coleman? Is I'm that what you guessing want? he means, or they mean, the three best wide receiver transfers in the portal. That's what I thought. Right how I now? Oh. I haven't checked the portal in a couple of days, but... Uh... Or maybe they're talking about the current roster. That's a, better, ah, okay. that's a better question. If we're talking about the current roster, the three wide receivers with the best chance of turning into elite weapons for Jeff Brom next season, who do you go with? Like, both Transfers and current guys, current roster. Okay,
3: I, mean, I feel like Huggins, Bruce, probably on that list. Huggins, Bruce, absolutely. Um, I think J- Kevin Coleman doesn't count. No, not, no, no, no yet. not not yet. I would say probably Jaden Thompson since he's got a fair amount of experience and he was already like a starting wide receiver at Cincinnati. Sure. Um, as for the third, I would say probably Braden Smith because he has shown. He, he, I mean, he was wide receiver one heading into, what, the 21 season? And then he had his injury. Great story. So, like, so he's, he's got starting wide receiver potential. He just has to be consistent
4: with it. So I, I, so I would go Amari Huggins-Bruce, Jaden Thompson, Braden Smith. I think it's a good three. I think the hope is that. Somebody that we're not talking about a whole lot emerges as like this, I mean, whether it's a freshman or, or one of the guys that you're bringing in as a transfer, emerges mm-hmm. as this unexpected, kind of has like a Jamari Staples type impact. Remember how big of a deal he was? We, we forget about Jamari Staples. We should never forget about Jamari Staples. Yeah. He was great. Uh, I would love for one of the, the transfer guys to become that type of player.
3: It's, fun, it's funny we talk about transfers. This graphic just actually came across my Twitter, talking about who has the most transfers in so far in this cycle. And guess where Louisville is at on, in the top ten? So they've got eight. Uh, guess where that ranks out of all the FBS programs right now. Six. I bet Colorado has more. I bet. Colorado has more, but they're not number one. Ooh. Where do we rank? Number seven. Okay, I was close. North Carolina is number six, nine, and they're actually t- actually tied for fifth with Florida State at nine. UCF is at fourth with 10. Michigan State's at third with 13. Colorado is at second with 16. Take a wild guess as to who number one is.
4: It's a program with a new head coach. I was going to say, who's got a new head coach and who sucks? Um... It's not Cincinnati. Nope. It's not Purdue. Wisconsin. Nope. It's a Pac-12 team. I was thinking Pac-12, but I can't. Who just got hired in the Pac-12? It's not Cal. It's not Washington State. It's not Oregon State. It's not Oregon.
3: Who is it? It's Arizona State. With, uh! with 19. Damn. 19
4: transfers. 19 transfers already. Well, you know, I mean, with. <laughs> When Herm ran everybody out of town, or everybody wanted to leave town when Herm was there. I yeah, guess a yeah. lot of roster openings, yeah. And they've also known this was coming for like uh, for three months now. So True. Yeah, they were, I guess they were prepared. Apparently, KSR is going um, to 10 a.m. on 790, and Jerry Eves will be on from 7 to 8, Tom Leach, and then the KSR pre show from 9 to 10. Those guys don't need a pre show. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Texas says y'all should do a r- Zoom radio roundtable of all the 3 p.m. shows once a week. <laughs> Not sure that the, the stations would love that. will cast it. It'd be funny. I, it. I'd enjoy it. I, I, mean, I think that'd be fun. Texas says, could you talk about people who post on our basketball websites that claim to have inside information? Do they really have it? Recently, I read a screed about, quote, someone who talked to an assistant at a currently ranked Power 5 school who criticized the staff. Is this stuff real? I've got no idea. I, I don't. Everyone's an insider. Everyone's an insider. I mean, I, I can tell you, sometimes I tell you the stuff that I hear on the show, which I feel good about, only when I feel confident about it. But as far as, like, I don't have, like, I don't have subscriptions to the message board, so I couldn't tell you, like, who these people are or which ones are, are credible and which ones aren't. Like, Evan Daniels sent me a, a link to a, a 24-7 sports thread that included both me and him. And I was like, I can't read this because I, I don't have a subscription. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, man. Um, uh, but props to Evan, by the way, who's uh, the, killing it as an agent. He's the, the That's agent. A name I haven't heard in a long time. It's because he's he's now Rick Pitino's agent. He is now Matt McMahon's agent, who uh, is is the LSU head coach. He's uh, agent Kevin Willard's agent. He's he's cleaning up right now. But uh, yeah, I, 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 as far as these insiders, I've got I, I've got no idea. To be perfectly honest, I wish I had a better answer for you. Texas says L could LLS could probably get. 15 uh, to 25 in 20 to 25 minutes, he's a possibly the best option for a six-man, 100% energy and fearless to score. If we had two better guards next year and him as instant offense, we are a team with probably zero scoring lulls. In an ideal scenario, I mean, first of all, L is not going to come back if he's going to come off the bench next season. No. But your point's not wrong. Like In an ideal scenario, if this roster were, let's say we had... I hate using the example because it's the the peak, but like a Russ Smith, Peyton, Siva type backcourt where you've got two elite college guards. L is like the perfect sixth man in that scenario to come off, play with energy. He's a capable defender. We've seen him get uh, rack up steals in, in recent weeks. He, I think if you took the pressure of handling the ball and, and initiating the offense off of his shoulders on every damn possession, he could do a lot more for you offensively and play within himself a little bit more. It's... It's a fair point, but we're just not at that point talent level. I mean, it all it, it all goes back to the same point:
3: need more guards. We need more guards. We've
4: we've, I mean, we've known that for a long time. Texas, where is Trev? He's he's not here. Not gonna, off the grid. He's off the backpacking grid. Backpacking Europe. We said it yesterday. <laughs> he's. he's <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. Continuing his in Europe. he's
2: walking the Great Wall of China right he's now. Continuing his museum tour of the United States, <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's at the Louvre.
4: He's at the Louvre right Louvre. now. He sent me a selfie with the Mona Lisa. Checking out Mona. Uh, he's that, that's we, we, we don't know, but he's gone for the rest of the week. Texas says uh, lots of KP or bus people out there are already shouting down the expectations that you're talking about for year two. The common trope in that camp is now 10 to 15 wins in year two. 15 to 20 in year three and turning in year four. That is absolutely not ridiculous. Absolutely not. If we haven't gone to it, I don't care what the excuses are. If we give Kenny Payne three years and he doesn't just make the NCAA tournament, doesn't produce an NCAA tournament. He's got to go. I mean, I, I hate to use this example because it's not entirely analogous, but Billy Gillespie was coach of the year, went to the tournament in his first season, narrowly missed the tournament in his second year, and they still fired him. And that was the right thing to do. It was the the best thing for the program. They knew that there was no more slow build. They knew that it was only going to get worse or just remain stagnant. They knew they had to get somebody better. And if we, Kenny Payne, may, it may be a slow build. God forbid it, We're worse next year. I would assume we're going to be better next season, and I would hope we're going to be even better in year three. But if that slow build isn't to a point where you're winning 20-plus games and going to the NCAA tournament in year three, it's clear that you aren't the guy. It's clear.
2: To put that into perspective with the year four tournament, that would mean Louisville didn't play in, a, in an NCAA tournament game from my 8th grade year to my junior
4: year in college. Which is terrifying. Yeah. Like, you, we've we've been through enough. We've missed enough NCAA tournaments recently. Didn't say a single one when I was in high school. That would also mean that you've gone a decade with two NCAA tournament appearances and a decade between second weekend of the NCAA tournament appearance. And you would have had only one NCAA tournament win for an entire 10-year span. That's, That's incredible. Besides that. That's... Other than that,
3: Ms. Lincoln, how's the
4: play? Texture says, I hate to bring up basketball while you guys are talking about football. This was from earlier. But let's face the facts. It, seemed like, it seems like Kenny Payne was valuable to Kentucky due to his relationship with Nike. But now that he's in an Adidas school, Nike won't help him recruit. It's the only explanation for why he was considered such a great recruiter until he had to go somewhere that he actually has to do the recruiting with out-shoe company help. This This line of thinking is becoming more and more prevalent. I'm seeing more and more people saying, Nike guy at Oregon, Nike guy at Kentucky, Adidas guy now at Louisville. That's why he can't get guys. We've seen, especially in recent years, Nike guys get Adidas guys, Adidas programs get Nike guys, and Under Armour pe- under, no, under Armour guys get both, <laughs> or they pay people and they still go to other programs. That yeah. <laughs> that, that has also happened a few times. Mm-hmm. He, Kenny Payne, I, I thought the way that he laid it out when he arrived here was was really smart by saying. I'm now the head coach of Adidas's flagship program. They clearly work with us and want us to succeed. And I've got all my relationships with Nike people. Like, it's the best of both worlds, which made sense. But we're not getting... We're, Adidas kids, Nike kids, Umbro kids. We're not getting anybody right now. That's the issue. I don't care what their AAU team is is being outfitted, who they're being outfitted by. We're not getting anybody. Like, like if you can get the best Adidas kids, get the best Adidas kids. If you can get the Nike... like go up there and get guys like that's that's what we need
3: and I, we're not getting anybody right now i, I just think that at some point I, i'm not saying that kenny Payne has to turn full-blown jimbo first jimbo fisher and just allow nil out the wazoo but i think at some point he has to soften or adjust his stance on nil a bit because it, 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 at this point it's or clarify or cl- yes you you that has to be a discussion at some point because that's just the nature of recruiting nowadays it's maybe we should have expected him to be a little averse to NIL considering the 2 years that he was away from the game coincided with the 2 years where they brought in one-time transfer and NIL so throwing him back into the fire with this new recruiting sphere maybe he's going to be a little uh, we should have expected him to be a little averse to this but if these recruiting woes continue I don't think he'll have a chance but to adjust his views on NIL. I'm not saying he's going to be forced to, but I think he's going to be like, I'm not saying he's going to be forced to change them by someone at Louisville, but I think he's going to have to be just change them himself because of the potential recruiting
4: misses that if they continue. I'm with you. I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's yeah. There's no way around it. Texas. Can you pronounce uh, analogous again, please? analogous analogous is that wrong no that's, that's right definitely okay. right thank you um thank you patrick you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> Texas says wait what who is saying 10 to 15 wins next year is okay that's bleeping absurd i've seen it i've seen it. i have to and i i hope that it's not the staff i hope that's not their mindset i hope not i would think not Texas last week. Coffee was joking on Twitter about getting a divorce, and someone replied recommending that he'd reach out to you regarding your one year of law class. I saw that. Legal <laughs> I did see that too. I enjoyed the tweet. Uh, I can't remember who who sent it, but it was somebody that I know. Um, I would, if I had remained in law, I would never have practiced family law because I had to do a little bit of stuff with family law when I was working at a law firm, and it's the saddest bleep in the world. You, you mean you
3: don't want to be a divorce lawyer? Oh my god!
4: Especially like so. My my boss was a pretty high profile like you had to pay a lot of money for his services so the cases that i got were rich people doing the worst things imaginable to get back at one another and laying out all this stuff about this is the worst thing about this person and then i'm reading the worst and you just then you read it's like a three-year-old kid and you're like this god. is just this sucks. and it was just even like the no, quote-unquote normal cases i think would have broken my I don't, I don't think i have the stomach for for family law but god love the people who do what law do you think you would have practiced i don't know honestly i mean something where i could do as little as possible and <laughs> i don't think that's really how law works. <laughs> yeah that's uh... you'd be surprised uh, i know a lot of lawyers out there that have kind of taken the path of least resistance but um i don't know i hadn't i had not gotten that far texas i will literally fight somebody who says that 10 to 15 wins next year is okay that's moronic literally fight you don't literally, literally, do it don't, don't do literally, it. just mentally do fight him just figuratively fight him texas any chance that he brings ricky brumfield uh, over to beat the special teams coach Got to be a chance. We used to, we've operated without a special teams coach for a while now, and we've been okay. Special teams were good this year. Of course, special teams is bound to improve when you get a punter who can boot at 40 yards consistently. We need a punter. That's the other thing we have. We talked about positions of need. We're going to have to go get a punter.
3: Can you imagine how good his numbers are going to be booting that
4: ball in Colorado? It's going to be insane. Texas says, what's the record for shot clock violations in a game? I feel like we had three or four last night, and they were all out of timeouts. It wasn't good. We also, great, if we're setting the record for, and this has been a record-setting year, thank God for the forty forty-one team. We love you. <laughs> that your token shout-out for today. We have to. I was talking to somebody. What other ways can we lose a one-point game? Because we've had a buzzer-beater that was called off. We've had a buzzer-beater from the other team that counted. We've now lost on a fast oh, break. A
2: buzzer-beater missed. By Bellarmine, us. Bellerman, Kamari, Bellerman, Kamari Be- and then last and
4: night, buzzer, Ooh, here's one. We lost the ball. Full Cortev. Full-court heave is up there. Still technically a buzzer beater, but a different kind of buzzer beater. The one that got laid out was the reverse Darius Washington, Mm. where we lose when they make free throws with no time left on the clock. That's still out there. But we're running out of—the short list is growing shorter with every one-point loss. We're losing these games in in varieties of ways.
2: There could be that they make free throws with no time on the clock, or we shoot free throws, no time on the clock, down one, break them both.
4: Missed. The the real Darius Washington. That would be— for all the jokes I've made over the years, that would be poetic. Poetics, one word. Texter's <laughs> <laughs> saying so you. Yeah, I can't say that. <laughs> Come on, guys. Texas says the only reason the Petrino move makes me mad is because he gets Ruben Owens now. Yeah, but hey, but you never
3: know. Maybe that move forces Ruben Owens out to and to transfer this time next offseason. So you never
4: know. This is why you're nice to kids when they enter the transfer portal as fans, or when they go to when they don't sign with you. Fans, because they may be in the transfer portal a year from now, and who loves you? Who loved you back then? All right, we got to get out of here a little bit early today. Uh, what's the is there a game on tonight? Is we have a bowl game? We have anything going on tonight? I think Nobody the knows. women play tonight. The women's basketball team plays tomorrow. I think it's Georgia Tech. Right? Hey,
2: Manuel plays PRP. Nobody cares about Big Six, Seven, Three. I'm a Manuel grad and I
4: don't care. <laughs> Nobody cares about oh, you're a Manuel grad. I don't even know that. <laughs> is there an NBA? Somebody give me a game to pick tonight, Patrick. This is your job. Real quick, give me a game. I'm working on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you, you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, this, is what you, this is the hot seat. This is why you're in the big show. Auburn, Georgia. Okay. Ooh. Auburn, Georgia. At Georgia. At Georgia. God, Mike White. Better than I thought they were going to be. Still not good. Matt McGavick, who you got tonight? <laughs> you know what? Go Oh.
2: Okay, the two better games. There's two top 25 matchups. Missouri, Arkansas at Arkansas and TCU,
4: Baylor at Baylor. I think Arkansas wins and covers the big spread because I made this prediction publicly earlier today because I think Missouri just doesn't have agree there. dudes. And TCU-Baylor's
2: um, Baylor by 5.5
4: at Baylor. TCU straight up. Uh, I'll, think, I'll take Baylor in the points. Week schedule. They're going to start showing themselves. All right. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. Matt McGavick, hopefully we're going to have you back on Friday. We have no idea who's going to come in tomorrow. We'll try to make, <laughs> make something happen there. That's going to be fine. It won't be intern Patrick. He's going back to school. Get Keith. God love him. We'll try. Everybody have a fantastic Wednesday. We'll see you guys tomorrow at 3. Free the
0: world is mine If I rule the world Imagine that I free all my These last days until the way to paradise life relaxing, black, Latino, and Anglo Saxon. Amarni exchanged the range, cast, lost, traversed, and bass. Free at last, brand new whips to crash. Then we laugh in the illopath. The villa houses for the crew, how we do. Trees for breakfast, dime sexes, and been stretches. So many years of depression make me vision the better living type of place to raise kids in. Opening eyes to the lies, history's told.